Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed, and this particular episode of the Force Center podcast feed is very exciting. This is one of our deep dive episodes, but the thing that we are going to deep dive into is Light of the Jedi, the new High Republic book kicking off an entire new era of Star Wars. It's kind of a big deal. I'm excited to be here. I'm Joseph Scripshaw. I'm Ken Epsuk. It's uh, definitely a big deal, everybody. This is going to be a lot of fun. You know how we do it here on Force Center, folks. We take a little bit of time. We like to digest uh, what we read, uh, what we watch, make some notes, discuss some themes, 
and uh, maybe occasionally pour a drink, but also take our time. And we're happy to do that today, not just with uh, uh, Joseph and I. Uh, it is our special guest, Alex Damon of Star Wars Explained. Alex, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I was listening to your uh, original, like your High Republic podcast itself, and I, I just immediately texted and begged Ken and Joseph to let me come on. I was I desperately wanted to talk about this book with them. So thank you so much for letting me do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we always love uh, talking with you just as friends, but we also just love talking with you as a Star Wars talking person. And I think this is kind of great full circle because I believe we all did an episode when the news finally came out that this is what the High Republic is kind of talking about it all. So it was so great to get that text from you of like, you know, you you are a Star Wars master. You have your ups and downs about what Star Wars you like. So to get that text from you of like, I am over the moon about this Star Wars and I must talk about it was great. That I totally forgot about that. That yeah, we we were out there in LA for the announcement thing. And yeah. so yeah, we we did a podcast in person back when that was possible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about what could High Republic be, and now we've got some ideas, right, Ken? Yeah, and look, I will say this, Alex is always. You and Molly have always been so generous to us here at Four Center, either featuring us or mentioning us, buying our T-shirts on your uh, great YouTube channel and now Twitch channel. Uh, but it was great to you know you, you text both of us, kind of like, oh man, I love this book. <laughs> I'd love to talk about this with you. No, really, I'd love to. Talk <laughs> <laughs> um, so it made sense. Yeah. Uh, so we can't uh, wait to dive into that. Uh, that's coming shortly. First, though, as always, we want, want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day 30 30 free trial at audibletrial.com slash force and over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Joseph, I'm so excited I just can't talk. What's our recommendation? <laughs> our recommendation, well, you know, Light of the Jedi, but hopefully you will have uh, read or listened to that uh, by now. Uh, so I wanted to recommend something else, and I uh, picked Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray because that is, I think, a book that ties into Light of the Jedi in an interesting way because it is, uh, you know, according to the timeline it is toward the end of uh, the high republic we can discuss that timeline uh and it also just really deals with some jedi philosophy really ties in interestingly with light of the jedi so if you haven't checked that out uh do that uh on us download your free audiobook today go to audibletrial.com slash four center again that's audibletrial.com slash four center for your free audiobook and ken we do have another ongoing offer right that's right. It's permanently part of the team. Inside Editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books, are uh, they're offering 35% off across their website with the special Force Center code. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35 or visit the website with this link, InsideEditions.com slash discount slash FC35. This week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, Secrets of the Jedi. Check it out with that code, again, FC35. Five deals for all of you in Star Wars land. And now on to the main event. That is right. We are going to dive into Light of the Jedi. So a couple of uh, warnings. This is full spoilers. All of our reviews are always full spoilers. We might start talking about this by talking about what happens on the final page. You never know. All in on spoilers. Also just want to clarify that this is our review of the specific book, Light of the Jedi. Uh, we are not factoring in a, a test of courage or the first issue of that High Republic comic or the great uh, kids book that, that Kevin Scott wrote, which is uh, winging its way to my door right now. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking a little bit about what's going to come for the whole High Republic. Uh, but right now, we're just focusing on Light of the Jedi. So let's dive into that. Let's just start with a 
big picture reaction. Alex, you're you're our guest. I, w- I would love to start with you. Uh, I assume since you said this in a text that you love this <laughs> book, but can you can you tell me the big picture reaction of why you loved it? It is everything that I was hoping that it would be. Uh, when we've been dealing with like the new canon books, I've mostly enjoyed them. Some of them I've really, really loved. But for the most part, I thought that they were kind of struggling to do what Legends used to do. Where And it makes sense because Legends used to be very book-based. It was like books and comics carrying the universe forward. There weren't movies. There weren't TV shows. So the books got to do the big storytelling. And then the Disney acquisition happened and the books kind of, I felt like, got set to the side. And I really missed having all of those like big book stories. And instead, they felt like they were being relegated to uh, like telling us the backstory for Captain Phasma or Tarkin or Thrawn. And uh, they were all just kind of tie-ins and they were just serving as support for the movies. And I really wanted the books to be able to do something huge. And uh, that's what this is. I mean, the High Republic, at least for now, is a big publishing effort. It's books and comics and coming or graphic novels and a manga. And uh, I guess eventually a TV show, but I don't know that it's going to be tied into this specific story. But just having the books be the backbone of something. And not only that, the story was really, really great. Uh, it, It sucked me in immediately. It feels very Star Wars, but it's also different and unique. It's all these new characters. It, it just checked all of the boxes of things that I've been looking for Star Wars books and Star Wars in general to do is to just kind of expand the galaxy, introduce us to some new characters and some new times. And I, I thought they nailed it on all accounts. That's great. Yeah, I think it is a real Star Wars celebration. I go on often about feeling like a lot of what makes Star Wars feel like Star Wars is this combination of of old, uh, you know, the, the feeling of the old and the ancient or the feeling of uh, familiar ideas combined with the shocking and the new. And I think it really nailed the new and old. And I also really take your point that I love almost every book that has been put out uh, since the uh, the Disney era of Lucasfilm. In a book like Master and Apprentice that I absolutely love can expand ideas and it can expand particular worlds, but it can't make you afraid that Qui-Gon's going to die. And I think that to me is a difference is that they the novels that have existed can be expansive in ideas and themes and world building, but they can't just literally charge into the future and give you that thrill of truly not knowing when you meet a character in a chapter are they going to die in the next chapter or is this a main character and you don't know when you're reading? That is a really new forward moving kind of thrill. So I really agree with you there. Uh, Ken, what are your overall reactions? Did you, did you love it? Did you struggle or is it just all love? All all the struggle happened before I opened up that first page. It really did. And, 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 uh, and, and and talking about what Alex brought up, I, I I think you're right, Alex, Uh, as much as I do love some of the the modern, same with Joseph, love all the modern canon book, canon books as, as character studies or studies of themes and concepts, something like say aftermath was it, it, it was hampered by, it could only drive the ship or drive the boat or drive the bus or whatever vehicle <laughs> you want to use an example so far uh, because it was playing within certain boundaries without a doubt. That's something that's been present in all the books and a lot of eyes were on this series for what you're describing, Alex. And for me, uh, I, I, I wasn't one who was necessarily seeking this 
brand brave new era of Star Wars storytelling and had a kind of a dubious eyebrow raise to it along the way, though my excitement continued to build. But if you go back to the first few news of this announcement, I was like, yeah, all right, a bunch of Jedi. Okay, okay. But I got to say, man, I love you know, so many of these modern canon books. Love them. But this is the first time I finished a Star Wars book and said to myself, again, again. <laughs> and I almost just started rereading it. And we'll go to some of those details along the way. But for me, I got to say, it wasn't just necessarily the story. I just was really taken in by this being a perfect era to explore, expand the galaxy, but also speak directly to us fans with some real world themes and lessons and conversations. And I have become almost a point where I can't explain it, guys. You're going to have to help me. I'm fascinated by the time, 200 years, because initially that seemed too close to me. But like 90 feet between bases in, in, in baseball, which is kind of some people joke is like this sent from God perfect length that if it's one foot either way the game is doesn't exist that we know it as a baseball fan it's just it's it's 60 feet six inches and all these measurements in baseball are, are seemingly random but that they might be from heaven like you know and I, i'm looking at this 200 years and i'm glad it's not 4,000. i'm glad it's not 400 one of the rumors i'm glad it is 200 because it's familiar enough to comfort me it, it's different enough for me to detach from what i knew and this story particularly this book We'll see how the whole thing plays out. Sets up some classic Star Wars themes with some just real deep philosophical leanings, again, set against modern times for me. Uh, and I wasn't expecting a lot of that. Um, I was expecting good things from all these books, especially with Soul writing this one. But I, I just didn't think I would be pulled in by a Jedi in the Prime, Gold Age of the Republic, pirates marauding around. Uh, I was wrong, and I was wrong. And I want to talk more about that. And it's part of the reason I enjoyed it. Excellent. Those are all great thoughts. And, and we will talk in canon about that when we talked sort of the, the, the fun canon moments, I think there is something just uh, perfect about this book in that it welcomes uh, Star Wars fans with a lot of familiar things that feel timeless, or, or if not timeless, very old. I mean, you have just the, the plain old familiar, some familiar places. Uh, you know, if you're a Jarl Poof or uh, Opo Rancisis fan, you're delighted. But you have those moments of consistency where like, yeah, no, the Jedi rules about attachment were very similar. But Bakta is being developed. It gives it gives you both things that I think we love in Star Wars of that feeling of things being a very old and very of tradition, and also that realism of that this is a galaxy that's developing, and they've had spaceflight for a long, long, long time. But something like Bakta can still be new, and it gives it that kind of I think a realism, uh, and that to me is maybe some of the the way that the kind of canon grounding makes it exciting. Um, for myself, for my big pictures of, uh, I was really excited for it and it totally delivered on the things that I was excited for and a little bit more, which is why I'm so thrilled. I think just surface wise, just the actual prose, the way it is written, the way it moves, the thing that both of you have commented on of the like, holy crap, I just want to read that again. I think that's because it nailed this Star Wars tone that is this perfect marriage of prose, of book and of, uh, of cinema, um, Ken, you, you described it as is cinematic, and I've seen other people do that. But I think, to me, it's just, it's in its pace, it's thrilling. It's got some weird uh, creatures and weird ideas and weird locations, uh, but then it also has depth. So it's got exciting adventure, serial pacing, great action scenes that you can really see in your mind. But all of that is grounded in super relatable characters with, like, relatable details about the kind of cheese they're eating at a banquet, and then 
all of that, all of that grounded by what I think Star Wars must have, which is uh, complex morality and new takes on big ideas of themes of hope and fear. So it's kind of it's 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 really the complete package of Star Wars to me, which is, I think, what you need when you're starting a whole new era. Um, and then for me, uh, just uh, two other very specific things. Uh, I was uh, I was concerned uh, that perhaps they would say, like, it was the High Republic. Everything was great. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, and I really love that so much of this book is making concrete arguments for this is what is actually good in the High Republic in specific uh, big and small ways. The people in the galaxy are aware that this is an era where specific choices are being made to earn <laughs> eventually the title the, the High Republic. And we'll talk about those, so I'm not going to go into any details. Uh, but I love that there are details. Single biggest thing for me is this is just so many uh, Jedi dreams come true for me. It's why I was excited when it was announced is that I wanted to spend a bunch of time with different Jedi, with detailed, unique personalities. And right away, just in this first book, we got them. I love that their powers are diverse and creative and that they're finding different and thrilling ways to use the Force. Uh, I love that the Jedi are well-known, but still weird and mysterious. We get some great perspectives of people being like, uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember their terminology, so I just call them all master in case, you know, it's a very realistic perception of them. And then I think my single biggest thing, because different rest, uh, writers have wrestled with this, and I'm sure wrestlers have written about this. Uh, <laughs> but this idea that the Jedi are extremely powerful, but they are also vulnerable and they can make mistakes and it feels really authentic. People have wrestled with the, you know, quote unquote Superman problem of the, the Jedi are too powerful. They can just do anything. This was some of the like best and most realistic uh, feeling like when they focus, they can achieve amazing things, but they need to choose where to put that focus and they can drop the ball. And, and I just, I loved Jedi that are powerful and vulnerable and it feels authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have all enthused that we love this book. So we could just wrap up. But instead, we're going to discuss a little bit more about exactly why. I want to ask you both. Do you think it is a good jumping on point for new Star Wars fans and or new Star Wars readers? Uh, why don't you go ahead, Alex? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, this feels to me like uh, sometimes people go like, oh, there's just so much Star Wars out there. Uh, I feel like I would be lost no matter where I jumped in. And this is very much kind of a, not a reset, but just like a, this is an era that is just now starting out. Uh, it's not connected to anything else except like, yeah, Yoda's alive at this point. Uh, Jarl Poof, like you mentioned, Oppo Rancis is like a couple characters that aren't going to confuse you. They're, they're just names. For the most part, it, it's just something that you can dive in. And you're like, oh yeah, the, I know the Jedi and, I know spaceships and lightsabers, and that's kind of all you need to know. Uh, it, it sets everything else up for you. Um, yeah, I, I think this would be a perfect entry point if someone has just never read a Star Wars book but is intrigued by this era. I don't think they would be confused by anything. Yeah, I, I really agree. How do you feel about that, Ken? Yeah, I, I absolutely think I could see this as being an entry point for brand new fans, right? We always talk about how we're obsessed with entry points into Star Wars and what that does to your fandom and changes your perspectives on the saga. So really, real easily, I think this could be that. Um, and I think it might end up being my answer for that question we kind of always get of the, uh, hey, Ken, I'm looking to read a Star Wars book. Where should I start? I'm like, ah, Lost Stars, Cat Catalyst, 
Uh, I think I might answer this one. Uh, and it goes back to what you, you and I have been discussing on other shows, Joseph, and what you just mentioned so well, that, that cinematic term we keep throwing out there. I think it's one of the reasons I find myself loving this book, this particular story. But also, you know, many of us began with the movies and, and I've mentioned or maybe admitted this before. I sometimes struggle to see Star Wars in other forms, including TV. Mando misses the mark for me sometimes. Obviously, I love the series. I was talking with my pal Mark Ellis about this. He actually has a stand-up bit about this right now. I don't know how long it's going to last in his act, but he's just like, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't watch Mandalorian season two till like last week. He benched it all. And he goes, I, I avoided spoilers. I didn't know. And he goes, yeah, I, I like it. I'm a Star Wars fan. I love it. Man, those movies and John Williams music, it beeps me in the face. <laughs> and I want to feel that sometimes in my Star Wars. And sometimes <laughs> it can, books are books, right? They should feel like books. I get it. But even something like, I mentioned Aftermath, like, I love that series, but it it's 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 a different feel. You're you're not getting episode seven, eight, and nine as if it was set right after Return of the Jedi. And this book specifically feels like uh, the first movie in a new series. And it doesn't mean I need the rest of the series to match that. I'm ready to go whatever direction they want to go. But to establish this new era and to hand a book to a fan and say, "Hey, you want to start with Star Wars uh, in terms of books, or you you've ever heard of the Star Wars thing? Give this a try." Uh, I still might tell someone to go to New Hope, but. Um, it works because it it is it just the pacing, the momentum, the thrill. You and I did that thrill episode, Joseph, last week on Force Center. There's some thrill in here that is uh, it's palpable, and I love it. I love that yeah. word palpable. <laughs> uh, yeah, palpably thrilling. Yeah, and great cliffhanger moments in the chapters. Totally agree, and I love that we've got our our book review. We're going to do some deep dives about what we love. Uh, but you've also just laid out our our little uh, pull quote of the uh, this book beeps you in the face. Thanks, Mark Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I really appreciated that it, it 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 definitely helps to come in with some Star Wars. I can picture this species by name and all that if you want. But even with the basics, the book does actually lay out the basics. Like it lays out the geography and politics of the galaxy pretty early on of exactly where is the core, uh, where's the colonies, um, what, what state is the mid rim in, and like. It, it is no different than any other, uh, you know, fantasy or fiction uh, or science fiction novel. It kind of gives you the layout of the map and what people's kind of position is based on where they are in the map pretty early on. And really early on, it tells you pretty explicitly who the Jedi are, what the Force is, what the lightsaber is. It really does go through the basics. So I really think that you could have somebody who has never watched the movies and just this could be the beginning of their Star Wars adventure, which is really impressive. Um, and then again, to Alex, to, to your great point at the beginning of, I think if a new reader started, and I think we are going to have that generation of people who are like some, I know some fans are like, I started with the Thrawn novels. I'm a Timothy's on entry point uh, person. They're going to be entry point High Republic fans. And they're going to be invested because they don't know what's going to happen to these characters. And they do need to buy the next book to find out what happens to Loden Great Storm. It's not like, oh, yeah, no, no. Here, watch this episode of Rebels, <laughs> which is really, really powerful. Um, so it is this big introduction to a new era. As a book, uh, do you feel like it totally stands alone as its own story? Ken, why don't you start this time? Yeah, the, the, first of all, it, it does. I think it does. Um it clearly is setting up something up, but we're, we're so aware of that. So I'd be so curious to, to give it to someone who's like, you never here, try this. It's called star Wars and see what they feel. But, and, and this is nowhere near, near a ding on the book, but I personally couldn't escape wanting to read more clearly. 
the references to other events, uh, Yoda and the Younglings, which is my new favorite wedding band. Uh, <laughs> everything had the, the give me the next one feeling, uh, it, especially at the end of the story. Um, but as I said in the, in the live stream event, the, these books are kind of designed to stand alone in their own way within the air of storytelling. I don't feel... Uh, I don't think you'll be completely lost. You know, you can read about Vanessa Rowe in this book and 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 not need to be concerned that there's a, another book. I'm exciting. Uh, I'm excited for it. I have it. I haven't started reading that uh, Justine Ireland one. Um, so I didn't feel I needed any more info than was there. And so I trust the other books will do the same. So on that answer alone, uh, Your Honor, I submit it does stand alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is one of the things I was wondering about halfway through the book. And I feel like this book does really tell uh, the story of the great disaster, the, uh, you know, immediate thing. And then ending with the starlight beacon being turned on, it is like kind of the, the bell that rings to set off this new era, both in the disaster side of it, uh, the fear side of it and the hope side of it with starlight beacon. But then, you know, it, it's got a great big cliffhanger. I was super invested in, in Loden, uh, in particular. And I did kind of close the book going, Okay, but exactly, I haven't read all the press releases in a while, so I don't have it memorized. Exactly when do we pick up with poor Loden? But to me, I'm kind of okay with that because the book does tell a complete story. Uh, and then in the grand tradition of adventure serials that Star Wars is inspired by partially, it ends with a great cliffhanger, which feels honest to Star Wars. And honest to, uh, Alex, again, what you were saying with the sort of, it's it's like Legends. It's follow this adventure in the books and the comics. So did you feel that way, Alex? Did you feel like it was complete or were you bothered by the cliffhanger? Definitely not bothered. Uh, like th- this to me feels like it's as complete as the Empire Strikes Back. Like it ends with kind of a, a sigh of relief, like, okay, we made it through that whole ordeal. But yeah, there's also this question of like, what's going to happen to Han Solo? Or now what's going to happen to Loden? I, I had the exact same thoughts of like, they really, Charles Soule really makes you fall in love with that character. And, and then I think there's kind of like that whole trick of, oh, he might be dead. No, he's not dead. He's still alive, but no one really knows it. And how are we going to get him back? So I desperately want to see him returned back to his order. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't feel that a lot of people are concerned of like, oh, what's the right reading order? Do I need to read all the books and comics to understand what's happening? And that's certainly not the case. I think it's rewarding to do so, but especially with Light of the Jedi being the first one, uh, it, it feels like it stands alone. Okay, I think that great comparison to Empire Strikes Back helps me because I'm just I, I I close this book saying this is great. Uh, where is Return of Loden Great Storm, the novel? I want it now. <laughs> I, I did the same thing where I was just like, okay, when's that next? When when is Kevin Scott's Rising Storm come out? Okay, like I know I, I assume that's when all those story threads will be picked back up. Yeah, because it does seem like they're making an effort to be even having sort of a, a diversity within the reading levels of if you just want to follow these novels at this uh, age, traditional age level, you can in, in that. So I think you're probably right. Very exciting. Uh, we're going to move on to a thing that we love to talk about here on Force Center, which is just the themes and the big ideas. Uh, we'll tackle them first, and then we're going to get into lots of just uh, favorite moments and cool moments and any parts of the uh, the story we wrestled with and all sorts of details. But we always like to start with uh, the bigger picture. Uh, so I, I broke down some of the themes. I'm going to run through uh, them each at a time, and then we will uh, dive in and discuss. So the, I think the big theme to me, the big idea was this idea of unity and connection. It is something that gets uh, repeated in lots of 
uh, big and obvious ways in lots of little subtle connecting ways. Uh, Unity and connection are explicitly the actual goal of uh, Chancellor Lena So and the Republic. This is to me where we really get into why is the High Republic high? Why is it? Uh, why is it so great? I should find a better way to phrase that. Uh, <laughs> but why is it? Why is the High Republic so great? Uh, so this this literal goal to use the starlight beacon to reach out to the outer rim, all supported by the more philosophical idea of the the phrase of the day being, we are all the Republic, we are all equal, we all, all should help and support each other, being both a literal philosophy, and they're actually physically trying to do that by building the starlight beacon to reach the outer rim. Uh, Lena So's got her Great Works program, which is all about unity and connection, sending a... a uh, medical ship, uh, the panacea to anywhere where there is mass suffering or disease, which, uh, is, as Ken has pointed out offline, difficult to hear about right now <laughs> when we actually have a pandemic. Like, could, could we have a panacea ship? That would be great. Uh, and then I think down to even little great details to me, like that very early chapter uh, where the disaster is unfolding, and there's a Merlin who is talking about wanting to ask a, out a Twi'lek who who they've been flirting back and forth. And the Merlin is like, yeah, you know, uh, with the attitude in the galaxy right now, it might not have been cool at different times uh, because we are different. Uh, but, you know, we are all the Republic. I feel a little safer and better asking a Twi'lek out. So you can see from the big picture to the little picture that there is this government desire to to create greatness through unity and connection. And then, of course, that uh, ties into Jedi philosophy that we're familiar with, that everyone is connected and equal within the Force, but is made even more specific by uh, one of our lead Jedi, Avar Chris, having this specific Force ability where she can connect others through the Force. Uh, we get reminded about the power of unity and connection by the descriptions of how Jedi can pilot their cool Jedi ship vectors in this drift uh, formation where they they just fly in absolute perfect unison. Uh, then, of course, one of the big force actions is this group effort uh, to stop the Tabana gas from hitting the sun, which sounds like a euphemism, but it's literally what happens. But it is this power of all of the Jedi working together through unity, through connection. Then this idea even gets uh, repeated again in a sort of practical solution. Kevin Tarr, uh, the tech guy, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, comes up with this brilliant idea of linking thousands of Navidroids to pro uh, project where these emergences from the great disaster are going to happen. And that's another image of connection and unity. And one thing by itself is not powerful enough, but if we all come together and work together, we can be powerful enough. And then on of the dark side, of course, we have the Nile, who are uh, selling this uh, idea of personal freedom but they're also aware, the leaders, that they have this rigid structure to ensure it. So we have this kind of dark version of unity of like, we're, we're going to sell, sell the idea that uh, individual freedom is what matters, but also to ensure that we're actually going to create unity so that we can get what we want out of everyone. And then the, the final thing to me is this, uh, how important to the plot uh, hyperspace lanes are, and then paths from the Niles. And these are actual literal connection points uh, to the galaxy, literally uh, creating the possibility of, of physically being together and trading ideas and goods and everything. And the fact that those, that hyperspace lanes in some ways are the MacGuffin of the story, it means even the MacGuffin is about connection. So uh, thank you for letting me uh, share all, all those thoughts. 
before I ask specific questions, I just want to see if there's any big picture thing that uh, either of you want to say about this theme of unity and connection. Ken? I, I just, I kind of love that it's, it's kind of the real, reality of the galaxy at this time that unity is, is needed in the most basic of ways. And it's so spread out uh, the galaxy. So impossibly so. And so I love that little detail that it was hard to simply send communication transmissions, right? Like that was part of what the, what the great works was going to accomplish that they, the galaxy, even if they wanted to be connected, they, they had to struggle. And it, so it was an active choice, uh, not just from the government, but from, from people too. And, uh, and, and since it's the a golden age, the beginning of one um, without that connection, it, it, it's in danger of, of being uh, rife with isolation, which goes into some of the philosophy behind trying to connect uh, and why why we would need to more than just Obi Wan telling the Gungans it's a symbiote circle like there's that too but just like if you need help or you need you know good like it was hard to connect you had to work to connect even the Nile they were small because you know what made them more powerful is the eye starts showing up and saying I can connect you to other thing we can do things other groups can't do so um, even with the Jedi I, I was moved by that because uh, they're discovering how to use their own powers in a way which goes again to my era. Uh, my my thing about the era, why I love is uh, we're not establishing, wait, wait, I, I suddenly felt I could use my mind. We know you can use your mind and connect with other people, but they can even learn to make that better or learn how to use it in a different way. Um, and Eva Chris connecting individuals by knowing their each of their strengths. I like that sentiment as, as well as the lesson. So uh, unity, connection, like I said, very powerful theme because it is the lifeblood of this uh, galaxy, that, that lifeblood it needs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex, for you, what is what is powerful or interesting about this idea of unity? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would agree that this is the biggest theme of the book. I mean, they say we are all the Republic over and over and over. And that's kind of the ideal that they're striving for. And also, since you mentioned it, like I, I said this in my review that I was just like, this felt like a book I needed to read right mm. now watching the entire galaxy, this entire government come together to solve a major galactic problem and like citizens and the Jedi and the government officials are all working together to do what's best for everyone. Uh, like, man, that sounds nice. So <laughs> I, I, it's weird that this was supposed to come out like last August and mm-hmm. then got delayed uh, where I, I don't know. It just feels even more prescient now. Well, but. Sorry, actually, I, I was joking with Joseph off air this morning. Like, I, 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 you know, it's like they delay COVID and everything. But like, I was like, did someone or Charles Soul or someone say like, can we go add a little bit more layering into quarantines? <laughs> Things like that. I have this quote from Charles Soul that's on the uh, Wikipedia page. He says, I'm hopeful that when people read Light of the Jedi, Jedi on January 5th, that they will find the uh, themes that will be resonant because of the time in which it's coming out, because of the time in which it was written. So I clearly... That stuff's there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he nailed that. <laughs> um, what really strikes me about all of it, uh, yeah, all the unity and all the connection and why I think they're showing us this era, this golden age where everything is great, is we know that this can be lost. Unity and connection, it's all very fragile because when we jump 200, 250 years into the future, the galaxy's not like this at all. And I think we're going to see what happens to put the galaxy into this state, what we need to keep an eye out for, uh, what can cause this division. 
And I, I think that's probably going to boil down to stuff that they've said behind the scenes is like, uh, what did the Jedi fear? Um, hmm. And probably that's similar to what does the Republic fear or just people in general. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what future crises the Nile throw out uh, or or other dangers that are going to start to break this golden age. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I get from all of this is like we're seeing the Jedi and the Republic at their height. And ultimately, I think this whole story is going to be a tragedy in some ways of what causes it all to fall apart. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. And I definitely want to discuss some of those specific beats of, of you know, I think it's going to make the prequels richer to watch those films and and really say, OK, what are the mistakes and how did we get there? And I love everything you're both saying about this feeling extremely timely uh, when, when we in the real world are facing some major crises that we need to come together uh, with empathy and and connection in order to solve. Uh, and I think that's part of what makes this book to me feel like Star Wars that, you know, Lucas making A New Hope, Star Wars when it came out, uh, was definitely responding to the time, not just that most of the films were gritty, but that it was a time where people were losing hope. He has explicitly said, you know, Palpatine is Nixon. So for him, Star Wars was of the moment when he was working on it, but he's also trying to talk about these timeless themes. And I think the fact that this book was written with these timeless ideas and then happened to come out even with the delay in a time where it was where it felt like it was responding to the news reminds you that some of these ideas are are timeless they're that they're what we struggle with as as societies and as individuals and i love that this book goes to a lot of effort to show that working in unity working in connection is a willful choice and that that everybody has to get past their doubt and their fear in order to do it. And then when you do it, it things do actually get, uh, get better. Um, and I like that it also takes time to celebrate the individual because it, 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 I think that's a big thing in star Wars that there's a lot of Jedi philosophy that, you know, everyone is equal. Everyone is connected through the force, the Jedi being selfless. There's some, some elements of star Wars that can make you think that, it's saying the individual doesn't matter, which I don't think Star Wars actually is. And I think this is a great, a great book to show a moment like the Tabana gas not being hit by the sun. It absolutely elevates this idea of unity and connection and everyone working together because it takes so many Jedi. But it is also the value of, of Avar Chris exploring that's her individual strength and that's her individual power to connect everyone. And uh, Avar Chris is who we need right now. And the next problem that comes up where everybody needs to work together, it might be the individual Bel Zedifar, who is the one who has the strength that will help make everybody come together. So to me, it is a celebration of the, the power of, of the group, the power of unity and connection. But, it isn't, but it's also celebrating that everybody is an individual. Everybody has different gifts and strengths, and that's important, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 the era. The, I keep going back to the era, and, and things. So a couple of things you guys are saying to make me thinking of, uh, about it. But we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come back to it a little bit later. But uh, one of the things I'll say is just like uh, in hearing the descriptions of this whole era coming uh, out of uh, StarWars.com and everything leading up to the release of, the, of this book, I was focusing on oh, it's like the old West. 
we're still exploring. We're still expanding. We got the Jedi, the Rangers, and there's there's part of that. There's part of that. It's not it, that that other they've they've mentioned Camelot a lot, but they they keep and Charles Soule mentioned that live stream. Yeah, Camelot as it was used to describe Kennedy, Kennedy's White House, or that entire era, which is post-war America, and you could do post-war anywhere. Of we got through something big. We we are we are who we are. Now let's see what we could do. And you take that and you go to where New Hope came out. It's like we're we're playing in that timeline and making, like you said, just the, the the unity, the connection has to be you have to you have to want it. You have to you have to make a choice to commit to it. And, and that's part of what's important to that theme to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think for those uh, people who, who want to enjoy their Star Wars as Star Wars and disappear into that mythology, I think it all works. And, and for people who want to draw real world connections, I mean, it's called the, the great works. I think there's a lot that connects to you know the new deal in the in the wpa and and big ideas there uh that they're really uh intriguing to me as well uh alex you touched on this a little bit so i want to be sure to talk about it do you think that the unity comes off as sort of balanced does it come off as overly hopeful or naive uh and if not you know what what makes it work for you that it's not just all everything's perfect and everything's great yay uh, no, I don't think it comes off as naive or I, maybe I'm just like in that state of mind where I like want it to be overly hopeful. So it felt <laughs> right to me. Um, I, I see it as balanced right now. And yeah, I think that we will see what knocks it out of balance and and kind of like what you touched on. The Nile uh, is in, in the way that the Sith, they're villains that have order of some kind, but they're kind of the opposite. The Nile goes so far uh, in the other direction that that's just, it's complete chaos. What happens when you have, I guess, quote unquote unity, but still everyone's out for themselves. Um, So I wonder if to combat the Nile, the Jedi might wander into that territory. Uh, this, like I have so many thoughts on what could happen here that like that's what I, I love about it. But I, I want to see how the Nile mess with the Jedi and the Republic and their sense of uh, unity and their code of honor because that's especially at the end when they are just killing themselves to hurt the Republic or uh, sending bombs and escape pods out. Like it, it's just they don't even know how to handle or combat cruelty like that. So I, I can definitely see them going, well, to beat them, we might have to become kind of like that, uh, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, you make some great points. I think that that end uh, where, you know, the Nile goes through some restructuring uh, in the end where a part of what uh, Marky and Roe uh, is is doing to sell the Nile on kind of his restructuring is saying, you know, Basically, the Republic doesn't want you to have freedom. He's kind of pitching that what Lena So is saying is is naive. It's a it's a lie. It's just a trick to manipulate you. And that's that's what's so like dark and scary and, and makes it this come off as not just like a, a perfect, happy, easy time. Everything's great. Work together and everything's fine. It illustrates that somebody like Marky and Roe, if they can get through to the to the Jedi or get uh, their word out to the rest of the galaxy, are going to say hey, I know all you people are clinging to hope. You're trying to push off your doubt and fear in order to make these good things happen. And I'm just going to press on your doubt and fear and go, 
you know, that, that part of your voice that's whispering, this is all kumbaya BS, you're right. And, and just, if you can press on that button, then everybody, you know, enough people will stop holding everything up that the whole thing collapses. And it, it is uh, frightening to think about. Ken, what do you think about how the, the novel avoids being overly naive? Well, I've heard, I have a ton of Nile thoughts. Almost too many notes on the Nile. I, I'm obsessed <laughs> with a a fringe group that buys uh, a, a, a large collection of powerful lies and and, and uses them to uh, destroy everyone, including themselves, for this false cause. Uh, there's a lot there, a lot there. But going back to the hopeful, naive, the balance, the unity, all those kind of things. Uh, Alex made some great points about about what the Jedi might do, and does that maybe? turn maybe we'll look back at this book and go whoo these naive jedi thought they could just connect and save things maybe we'll see where they go they've got some choices to make coming up and they already deal with big ones here about going to war in a way right they have those big conversations we're going to discuss the unity of the jedi and republic again to me comes off as very purposeful 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 (laughs) in purpose um and and that's very important. Well, because it leaves there's enough hope to still feel like the connections could be in doubt for me or filled with peril later on. Like hope, hope isn't uh, always a fact. You know, like I hope this connection thing works. It, it might not. And 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 I don't know. This kind of it's a it's a new era for everyone in the story as well. Uh, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Porter Ingle. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll quote Porter Porter Ingle a little bit later. Uh, perhaps my favorite character in the book. Um, that's again going back to Ken's talking about the era again. Um, it is, it is. Um, they we we're we're here now. This thing's great works are being done, and this and and we're all doing it. Back to you hear they got this thing called back to now. This is a new timeline for everyone, and so because of that, uh, I, I think there should be some hopeful naivete, and we can try to do it right, and and we got to learn how to actually do it right. Maybe a little bit later on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it is such a a wise uh, place to start that this is the beginning of this better era. There's been little bits and pieces of it, but, you know, the great works have started enough that people are kind of like, all right, well, maybe Lena So is on the right track and maybe it's safe uh, to get past our doubt and our fear and and get behind her. But it's still new uh, to people. So it's it's an exciting time. And it's not, we're not meeting them halfway through and like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's been high for a hundred years. It, you know, uh, yeah. it, it makes it more exciting and it makes it feel more delicate because there's still a lot of people on the galaxy to get on board. Yeah. And, and this is on my references again. And, and when we talk some of the other themes here, but this is what Porter Engel says on page 172. I remember when the galaxy, cause he's 300 years old. Remember, I remember when the galaxy was just pulling itself together a few centuries back, we couldn't think about anything but survival really. We should use this time of prosperity to build something meaningful for the future. So go back again. And, I, and by the way, folks, I don't read all these Star Wars books and go, are they talking about Eisenhower or Johnson's Great Society? What are they talking? I, I read it as Star Wars first, but then these things start to just kind of seep in because they're there. But, you know, go through. We're just trying to survive better or worse. And there's a lot of worse in the 1800s or this ages or World War One, World War Two. And, and, and then. You know, by late 40s, 50s into 60, 1960, you're literally like, great, we we got through it. We're the great generation. And this not call themselves the greatest generation yet, but now we got to build highways. <laughs> we got to build freeways. We got to social, social security. All the, all, and, and I really see that in a lot of what's going on. And what you just said, Joseph, like, hey, we, we got to try to get everyone on board to this new era. It's, it's That's what makes this real powerful Star Wars storytelling to me set against the backdrop of, of some realities. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. That that I did. It's so powerful that everything about the era and the sort of the geopolitics is thrilling and exciting because it's brought to this really human level, which makes us really extra invested in the era. Uh, the quote that I wanted to highlight was one of my favorite scenes from the book and what made it feel really to me like this is not about being overly hopeful or naive. This is this is individual characters like Porter Engel who know how challenging this is and how delicate it is to get people to come together and stay together in everybody's uh, best interest. It's that great scene where uh, Lena So goes to the uh, Umadi Mountain, uh, the public park on Coruscant, one of the last uh, natural places on Coruscant. You know, a lot of, a lot of great Star Wars uh, symbolism to be dealt with there. But particularly, uh, we are in her internal thoughts, and uh, I snipping around the quote to get to the vital parts uh, for me. Mm -hmm. But she says, a symbolism of the mountain, she would never speak aloud as it went against the general spirit of optimism and hope and possibility that was a cornerstone of her government. There was nothing so big it could not be swallowed up, nothing so strong it could not be humbled, nothing so tall it could not be made small, not a mountain and not the republic. I thought that was so great because it goes to everything, Alex, that you're so right to be excited about of this is the story of, of how the Jedi got to and the Republic got to where they are in the prequel era. But it's also going into the head of this politician. And she isn't naive. She is somebody who knows this is so delicate that I can have fears about it. But I know people give in to fears, so I can't broadcast that those fears because I need to keep everybody staying hopeful and forward moving in order to make this work. But I know me, this human being, I am well aware that every one of my great works could just fall apart. That was really, really powerful to me. How did you guys feel about that, that scene or that moment? I love that scene at that exact same line. Yeah. I wrote it down too. <laughs> um, and you know, I I'm thinking about it while you guys are talking and I'm like, maybe there is a little bit of, uh, Naivety, naivety. How do you say that word? Naivete. Uh, yeah, naivete. Uh, in this expansion into the outer rim, just because I I happened to read the uh, the first issue of the comic, and I won't like go into spoilers for it, but there are some consequences to Starlight Beacon immediately in <laughs> in the first few pages, and it's like nothing major. Like they can handle it, uh, but it's just unforeseen consequences that maybe you are being a little bit naive and expanding all the way into the outer rim and thinking that you can control this wild area uh, mm. that you just don't understand. And like, they don't really understand the Nile and what they have had to do to survive for hundreds of years. And you don't understand all the different planets and like the, uh, Oh, no, that's from Into the Dark, so I shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> but uh, the, there, there are a lot of running themes uh, mm -hmm. over maybe the Jedi and the Republic, assuming they can control things that they just can't. Yeah, it, it, that's fascinating to see where the, that's going to go. And I just I love where that level of storytelling is at just right now where we can have our different interpretations. Right. It's not as is uh, as heavy as as the prequels where Lucas was saying the Jedi made mistakes. Here they are. You can see them there on screen. Uh, you know, this is that. Oh, well, you know, when you do something big and daring and challenging, like building something like Starlight Beacon to uh, reach out. Of course, there are going to be problems. And it, that's a part of taking on a challenge like this. You could get great results or there could be all sorts of unintended 
circumstances, unforeseen uh, f- uh, circumstances, but you're never going to know unless you try a great work. And that to me is what's really interesting about it is we don't know yet whether this is going to be like, yep, this is another story of Jedi hubris ultimately, or this is a story that's to me realistic of when you try a great work, there are going to be consequences and, and you have to do your best to deal with them. But, you know, are they so bad that you shouldn't have done it in the first place? It's such a great question and idea to play with. Well, even uh, the description, sorry, even the description of Starlight Binka uh, by, uh, was it Pablo Hidalgo and, and some of the stuff released leading up of like, yeah, the Starlight Binka's got this beautiful Jedi temple. It's got an industrial side underneath. So depending on what side you are, you might have a view of what's above you or what's below you that you just, uh, you know, have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is absolutely great. Uh, one other question I have under this kind of big picture uh, theme idea of unity and connection is uh, there are moments of attachment uh, concern, which I thought was really great. I was wondering how much they were going to deal with that. But we get a little bit of sort of a flirtation and, and even uh, anger uh, between uh, Tamei and uh, Miko Sutmani. Uh, Sutmani uh, gets a little a little uh, vengeancy uh when <laughs> when something bad happens to his friend uh really explicit uh avar and alzar um having romantic feelings towards one another uh fooling around his padawans and knocking it off <laughs> when they became jedi knights not explicit on exactly what that meant but pretty clear uh there's some great stuff with all of the the jedi on the outpost on elfrona uh, and how they're not supposed to take in the great, uh, everybody's f- most favorite new character in Star Wars, Ember the Charhound, and how they got around it by saying he's a part of the team. We're not attached to a pet. He's a part of the team. And even very early about how of the vectors, their ships are supposed to be interchangeable, but Bell likes this one and named it Nova. Uh, so there's those moments of attachment concern. How how does that sit for you with this idea of sort of a, the unity of of this era, the great and high times, but there are lots of moments of attachment concern. Alex, how does that hit you? I was kind of expecting it. Uh, I, I just was going into this thinking, okay, the Jedi are going to be different. And everything that they've talked about, especially in the way that they view the Force and how everyone has a different inter- interpretation, I was like, I bet they're going to be a little more flexible and then whatever goes down with the Nile is going to turn them uh more rigid and so I I was expecting that maybe we would see uh maybe not outright romance Uh, I I was like maybe that'll happen but it, it looks like the rules are a little more lax and uh it'll be interesting to see where that continues if if it is explicitly forbidden I guess I kind of got that vibe from Avar and uh, Man at the end of the book, but yeah, I, I guess it didn't <laughs> take me too much by surprise, right? And uh, Elzar Man, right? For you're just using his last name for a second. I was like, there's no way Alex forgot that character's name. You know, Avar, and Avar man. And man in middle of book and Man at the end of book. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I will just piggyback quickly to say I feel like this is doing such a great job of just showing that. That Jedi rule to me is about attachment and watching out for it is grounded in understandable concern of if you're too connected to someone, aren't able to let them go, you will lash out in violence. And if you constantly fear to lose them, you will be seeped in that fear. All a really good concern. And I feel like this is showing us an era where Jedi are having respect for the spirit of the rule of why it's there, but they're being much more uh, uh, fluid 
with the letter of the rule. Like the way it seems like uh, Avar and Elzar are like, it was okay to kind of do some stuff <laughs> when we were Padawans, but Jedi Knights now, okay. You know, in the same thing with, with Ember, the Charhound, it doesn't seem like they're like, if they lose Ember, they will go, uh, they will fall to the dark side. So they're being kind of playful about, we know that there's a danger here, but that's the letter of the law. We're talking about the spirit of the law in this era and still have some flexibility. Ken, what did you feel about attachment in the High Republic? I mean, I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, young Jedis lost in love, lost under the Jedi temperature. <laughs> oh, that, that reminds me of the fact that there are Jedi romance novels in oh universe. Oh, my God. One of the best details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that and wreck punk, I'm, I'm all about. <laughs> uh, two things popped out. Cause look, this this discussion of attachment is one of, uh, it's uh, something we do on a force center. I know Alex, you and Molly have talked about it. Everyone, we love talking about it. We love trying to figure out what it really means and examples of it. Jedi going too far, or knowing the rules, Anakin, attachment is forbid. That's a great quote. We all love it. There's two things I pulled from this, that this book, because um, you're so right, Joseph. I mean, come on, it's Ember. It's a charhound. You're going to take that dog and you're going to adopt it. You're going to love it and put a uniform on it so you can get away with it. Um, <laughs> I love this, uh, uh, this description of Avar Chris's uh, power. Uh, Chris possessed the ability to detect the natural bonds between other force users and strengthen them, acting similar to a communications network. So to me, this is connection. And instead of just straight attachment, and therefore, if you can look at it on a micro level, like it, it, you have natural, uh, these connections uh, to each other uh, are, are a natural strength. And there's a big risk and is that risk too much? It's perhaps something the Jedi are always wrestling with. I thought of also the way Loden Greatstorm piloted his ship, uh, you know, the, the Nova, the secretly named Nova. There's just great descriptions of um, uh, of what's going on there because they don't want to, you know, Bell doesn't, you know, secretly names it. But even in his description, like you mentioned, Joseph, uh, you know, he doesn't want to name it, but the Jedi kind of use the same ships over and over again. They have a connection to it, and they draw strength from that connection. Loden's connected, and a lot of times, you know, what the kyber crystals are kind of unlocking the weapons or whatever, oh, which is great. Yeah, but, you know, so that's attachment, but it, it's presented as maybe the more uh, uh, important and, and right form of that is connection. You know, you have to lose, and a lot of stuff with Grogu, and a lot of discussions around that coming out of Mando too. But I love those two examples of, yeah, there's attachment, and then there's connection. Uh, and, and which way do you lean to? <laughs> yeah, I think that, I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Alex. <laughs> I, I was going to, I think that that is uh, what you're saying, Joseph, about the spirit versus like the actual letter and kin with connection. I think that the Clone Wars shows over and over again, how many times Anakin's attachments or connections save the day. And same with Ahsoka, uh, is that if he weren't attached, then things would have been a lot worse. But of course he takes that too far so it does feel like we're at a time for the jedi now where they're like yeah just just don't take it too far whereas in the prequels they're like nope no attachments at all so i think that that very well could play into uh some sort of downfall for some of the jedi maybe the whole order where they're just like okay well even a little bit of attachment is too far and we're just gonna get rid of it completely yeah, something something makes them afraid of this in particular, and yeah, I think uh, I think Ken, you're right to celebrate that this novel celebrates connection because it also does connect back not just to the prequels but to the era beyond of of Luke finding the power 
of uh, connection and being able to use that as a strength and not fear it as a weakness. And I think that is the the criticism of the Jedi in the prequels. And I think it's why why Yoda and Obi-Wan think that Luke, uh, Obi-Wan really thinks this. I think Yoda, it's debatable, but like, yeah, you know, Vader and, and Vader needs to be defeated. Uh, and Luke finds a way to to connect with him. And that's the great strength. And that's the, the great message. And I feel like that makes the story of the prequels that they are trying to have people avoid attachment because that can lead to to fear. And in doing so, the Jedi have become afraid themselves of attachment. And this is showing an earlier era where they have they're rightfully concerned, but they're not afraid of it. They, it's just something to be dealt with just something that's important to be considered that it can have great power and it can be dangerous. So let's, let's be thoughtful about it the way we see Avar Chris being thoughtful about both the positive and the negative. So it, it's, it's some great uh, Jedi balance there. I think yeah. um, we're going to move on unless you, unless uh, any of you have anything more to say about this big theme, we're going to talk about our next idea here. Uh, okay. To move on. Yeah, well, I, I, I will have one whole section called Ken Talks About the Nile, uh, uh, class the impression chart. <laughs> well, I think this is uh, this big idea, I think, is to me a, a, where some of the Nile philosophy really, really comes into play uh, in contrast to the Jedi. And I felt like there's this big idea of showing how do you use your power? Any story, uh, characters choose when or not to use power. Uh, but I felt like this book went out of its way to show some of those choices of of what it is to wield power. Uh, we get the uh, information that Marky and Roe, he, he has his power from the paths, and he gets those paths because he's stolen them from a kidnapped human being, Mari Santeca. Uh, the Nile philosophy is to, to take what they want, to use power for their own gain and their own pleasure to just let's take what we want so we can have what we want is a way to wield uh, power. Uh, Lena So is, you know, obviously a politician and, and is aware that she is growing her own power, but she's using that power, using the wealth of the Republic to try to bring others in. And so everybody gets to share in the power. So Lena and the Nile are Lena and Marky and Roe in some ways are, are the ones to me who are directly uh, opposing in sort of power philosophies. And then we know the Jedi always wrestle with this of when to use their power and when they don't. And this is, for me, one of the times where the book really uh, fulfills the, the promise of the premise of having a ton of Jedi and having them be unique is that they all have different perceptions of the Force and different kind of guides as they're going through their actions about how and when to use that power. Because that great uh, thought from Bell about the lightsaber igniting itself is a deterrent of saying, hey, look, I have power, so maybe you'd like to back down. <laughs> uh, he, he, Bell goes on to have that great epiphany that he can connect better to the Force when he realizes it's to save others, not himself. Uh, great, great Porter Engel stuff where he makes the choice to, to kill the Nile Raiders after they shoot his, his awesome steed, the Steely, uh, and then even hints that he regrets that later, uh, I think. And Elzar's uh, really being forward about like, no, I, I think it's fine to use the mind uh, touch or mind trick. I think it's fine to use it all the time. Great stuff towards the end where Loden is really trying hard to take the Nile alive, even after they've shown how brutal and merciless there is. He's still trying to find a way uh, in the space end of the chase. At, uh, even at his own risk to keep them alive. And then we even get, which is just great for me, a Jedi Council meeting just mm -hmm. explicitly discussing 
when and how the Jedi should uh, take any sort of military action. Uh, you know, and and I all these great viewpoints of what uh, Jedi power is. So what I wanted to, to ask you both, uh, starting on the sort of Jedi side of it, is did you find yourself just naturally agreeing with any uh, specific perspective on power? Did you find yourself nodding along to any specific Jedi when they were thinking through how they should use their power? Uh, Alex? Yeah, I think Bell was the one that I identified with the most. And I, I think you're spot on. I, I, I wouldn't even say that this is just a theme of light of the Jedi, but the the power that you have and how you use it, like I see that constantly. The Jedi have the force. Mandalorians have their armor. Uh, the Sith also have the force, but they use it selfishly where the Jedi use it selflessly. And Bell having that epiphany while he's literally plummeting to the ground, <laughs> realizing that uh, this isn't about saving me. It's about saving uh, this little girl. And uh, I, I really, really liked his story. I look forward to seeing it continuing. Um, but yeah, the, I, and I guess the Nile are over here with their power. Obviously they're using it selfishly as well. Uh, but I, I really love seeing this theme return uh, through light of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it is a big theme in star Wars. And I think this book is just handling it to me. So in such a straightforward, such explicit way, like I, I think, you know, a lot of questions that fans often have about, you know, going back and forth debating about characters like Obi-Wan and Luke when they go into hiding. This is this is to me what it's about. It's that, you know, what where do I use the power? When do I use it? If I accidentally use it the wrong way, will I make things even worse? And to see all of these characters being very proactive in using their power but wrestling with it moment to moment, you know, I think is a great way to uh, remind people that they can go back and they can watch the films and go, remember, all this stuff is running through Luke's head, Obi-Wan's head, Ray's head about how to use their power when. So I think just spending some quality time in the heads of the Jedi remind us that, as you're saying, Alex, that it's a it is a huge and continuing theme of Star Wars. Uh, Ken, for yourself, did you find yourself uh, agreeing with any perspective on power or any specific Jedi? I, I was, again, uh, moved by a lot of what Porter, Porter Ingle said, maybe because I also want to try nine eggs, too. I was pulled by <laughs> him, how he used to be with the, the, what is he, the Blade of Barada. Or Bardada, which is Bardada. Yeah, yeah, Clone yeah, Wars yeah. reference. Yeah. Um, and now we speak, you know, 300 years later, he's 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 serving out his, uh, his final days or centuries or, or, or excuse me year as uh, the jedi we don't know he's older but he's still he's still out in the galaxy he's not retired on coruscant uh, he wants to he has power in a way and he still wants to be out in the galaxy using it so i love the description during the steely chase um uh page 251 he porter angle was not ang uh, angry he'd been a jedi for almost three centuries he knew too well where anger could lead he was certain certain that a great injustice had been done certain that he could set it right and, and yeah you're right joseph maybe later on he's he's looking back at what he did and, and always looking for a different path i think that's a that's a lesson too but when he says uh after the steely shot um and he says to the nile thank you for showing me exactly what you are i just, I just it goes back to some of the stuff going on that battlefront two with the pilio seeing everybody all, all the things we go back to of choice and 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 and, and the what kind of uh, how you use your choices and there's, and there's consequences um, for choices and, uh, and successes that can come from choice choices too. It's not always negative choice. So anyways, I, I was drawn to Porter Engel's view of it. The bells that he far described the lightsaber was a beautiful description. The, the council scene, 
I, I was I was just uh, looking through. I forgot to write the exact page note there. I just remember reading the council scene and going, "I bet Joseph just grabbed some post-it notes." <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's a great scene. It's a great little chapter. Yeah, it is one of my very very favorites. Uh, I will probably enthuse about it a, a little bit later in our our epic review. Um, yeah, I, I love what you're saying. I love that that um, Porter basically sort of paraphrased like when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> and in this case, believe them with a lightsaber. Uh, I really like Porter Engel, really like Bell. I was really found myself drawn to Loden, I think, because I tend to agree with uh, the Star Wars theme that is you should be proactive. If you have power, you should use it. The question is you know, you should be very conscious of how you use it. And that's what makes the path very difficult. That's what makes it easy to fall. But I I do tend toward the side of you should be proactive. And Loden is so proactive. You know, he's just, he's he's going into situations and he knows that he has power and he is trying to use it. But he's always trying to come up with solutions to resolve things quickly and still, if he can, preserve life. I loved, loved the scene where he is, trying sort of uh, intimidation first uh, when the uh, the rich people don't uh, have the security guards and don't want to let people on the ship. And it's such a just small part of that huge, great disaster. I love that the solution he comes up with is, you know, trust his Padawan to deflect the blast while he concentrates and then just <laughs> pulls, you know, the, uh, the agitators out of the crowd. Because that's just such a great fantasy of like, hey, yeah, sometimes there's a big crowd and it's really eight people who are the problem. What if you could literally just pull them out and lift them in the air and go knock it off? <laughs> you're you're taking you know you're using your power. You're taking a stand, but you are trying to be precise with your power. Uh, and, and I love the quote uh, at the end uh, when he is chasing toward the end when he's chasing down the Nile uh, and he's contemplating that he might need to to take a life uh, and says uh, about how the the force moves people into positions, uh, but the force did not make decisions for you. And yeah. this particular person had done many terrible things, whether by necessity or choice. And I thought that was a, a great a Jedi perspective there. Um, the other question I wanted to ask you about, uh, you both about how how to use power when it comes to Jedi is um, there's a lot in this book uh, about how the different Jedi see the Force in different ways. That's such a great and beautiful idea. And I think sometimes we can see connections between how they see the Force and how they choose to use it and sort of interpret the morality of, of their power. So I wanted to ask you both uh, how, how you think you would see the Force. Uh, Alex, if you were a Jedi, uh, how would you visualize the Force? I think it would help me to visualize the Force as like a six degrees uh, to Kevin Bacon kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> as in like, a, okay, in how many steps am I connected to this stranger that I don't know? Uh, and, and just trying to visualize the fact that, yes, we are all in some way connected, uh, if not metaphorically, like physically, I probably know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows that person and just like finding a way to, uh, make that connection real. That's amazing. It, I, I, it, it reminds me of like going down like a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole where you start clicking links and then you end up, uh, you know, going in a circle and realize we're all connected. <laughs> like links on Wikipedia, we're all connected. Uh, Ken, for you, how do you think you would see the force? I am a harbinger of your consequences. What has your choice brought you to? No, um, 
I have uh, been in a, in a position of, of uh, a, a so-called authority for 17 years where you had to choose what you, how you want to deal with every situation. And some days you make the wrong decision and uh, other days you always want to make, um, as I used to tell my, my employees, you want to seek solutions and seek those first before anything else. And, and I, that's why I'm drawn by a lot of uh, what Porty Ingalls saying, a lot of stuff you just described with Loden and Bell, um, both of you, what you're talking about. So that would be kind of the philosophy of just like every case, every situation is what it is. And we will make a decision based off of what you do in those moments. And, I'll, and, and, and my goal would be to, to seek, um, seek a solution and not fire things up, but to calm things down when it's done right. And I've done it right many times and done it wrong many more. Uh, <laughs> as, as far as uh, how would I see the force? Come on, anyone listens to Force Center for a long time. It's, it's a meal. <laughs> you got your main course, you got this, and, and it all works together to, to feed and nourish you. So uh, that, that would be my description. You got songs, music, uh, nature and uh, old Jedi uh, Kenzak over in the corner uh, dreaming about spaghetti and side dishes. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, long talked about the Star Wars buffet. That is great uh, for you to be able to look out into the forest and, and see that the <laughs> the nachos are at peace right now. <laughs> but uh, the spaghetti is uh, is diseased. Uh, there's something not right at the bottom of the spaghetti. So they need to float down to that end of the buffet. Uh, yeah, For myself... Um, I got a degree in visual art that I don't use a lot, but one of my favorite parts of getting training in, in painting and drawing was a specific kind of drawing called gesture drawing. So it's the kind where you'd have a, a live model and they would hold a pose for just 30 seconds. And all you're trying to do is capture the actual energy of the body. So like if somebody, you know, thrust their hands up in the air, you'd everything that you draw in the stick figure basically is just about that energy going upward. Or if somebody is like bending over in pain, everything, all the energy is arcing over their back toward their head where that pain is going to be uh, expressed. Uh, and and that's, that's what I started to think about when I was seeing, reading all of Charles Sewell's great descriptions of people seeing the force of seeing them as these kind of that, that we are not sedentary uh, creatures. Uh, I feel very sedentary. I'm on the couch a lot, but just in our souls, there is always that sort of energy. There's that sort of movement of intent and to be able to kind of see that of like, uh, maybe that person is actually sitting in the corner, but in the force, I see the energy of their next movement. Uh, that would be uh, very, very fun for me uh, and disturbing because once we had a, uh, a very weird guy doing mime, that's not how you're supposed to do a gesture poses as a model, but the creepy mime uh, that would be upsetting to see in the forest. I think that would be the, the dark side for me. Uh, we're going to move on to the last idea. And Ken, I'm sorry I lied. This is the this is the place where I think uh, really talking, getting deep into the Nile would make sense. Uh, apologies I, for that. I thought there was, a, within this big idea of, of power, uh, there was a lot that was about the, this balance between order and chaos. Uh, the Republic is trying to build consensus. They need everybody to get on board in order for this high Republic to actually work. Uh, the, you know, the, the hyperlanes uh, are basically a, a way of trying to make order out of the chaos of the galaxy to find path to connect, to have that order in the chaos. Uh, the Jedi are all about wanting to keep balance, but they're always right watching the force move right and they are trying to find that uh order within the galaxy to find balance within the, the the force itself and you know the jedi have all these internal systems of of rules which are trying to give you know order to their order um and they're seeking to find meaning 
within the force. So that's a lot of, you know, order versus chaos, accepting the the natural uh, flowing organic reality of the force versus, but it needs, but we need to follow rules. And then Markian Rowe, right? He, he plans and he organizes. So he's really, you know, he, he is a, a, a force of order. He, he kind of made all these events happen, right? He caused the great disaster at the very beginning. We find out at the end that for the pretty much the whole book, he has not been responding to events. He has really been moving chess pieces into place. So you could see him as a force of order, but the way that he is, uh, you know, enforcing his desires is by generating chaos. He creates this uh, disaster, which creates these difficult to predict emergences. He, he forces the ships at the end to do those mini jumps. So it's utterly yeah. unpredictable and uh, chaotic. He stirs conflict uh, in inside the Nile in order to get what he wants. So he is an agent of order for himself, but he generates all sorts of chaos uh, to get it. And I think that really comes out in the battle. It comes out in interesting ways of how do you interpret Ride the Storm? Is that a message of or- of order or of uh, embracing chaos? Uh, so, Ken, I, I want to go to you with this because you're, you're uh, hopping to talk Nile. Uh, what does all that mean to you for the sort of philosophy of Nile, uh, the Nile? Are they a force of order? Are they a force of chaos? Are they just a lie? What's speaking to you? Well, so you, this was initially I put some notes in the unity section. I called it the false unity of the Nile, but I'll call it call it the fa- false order of the Nile. And look, chaos and chaos is a ladder. I hear you, Baelish. It's it's all there. <laughs> As Tywin Lannister says in season two, yes, yes, I know. Crisis is always an opportunity. What other insight have you brought me? I, I get that, and I but I love that. <laughs> Um, uh, but so that's the most interesting aspect of, of them, of the Nile. They've been sold lies. It's lies of power and freedom, but also please be in the office by 9 a.m. 9 tomorrow. Um, and it's kind of a timeless Star Wars tale. Cause it's like, um, what are you going to do with this? Like, what are you building to, uh, you know, all these tempests and you know, what's going on here at the beginning, it isn't quite world or galaxy domination stuff. Um, it was to make a buck in a way. And I'm, I'm really dumbing it down, obviously. But Mark Rowe clearly has bigger plans, uh, which is intriguing to me. Uh, but the the, the Nile, I, I describe it as, you know, they're, they've been a stack of lies built on the backs of desire. And it's a deadly pyramid scheme. Literally on page 225, Kasev uh, uh, has that great section where he's, you know, this weak way. And he's just kind of like not sure what he's a part of anymore. Uh, and you're like, oh, is he going to have redemption? No. Um, <laughs> he, he, they write in the section, the Nile was just another form of control, an engine designed to roll credits up to the people at the top of the organization. Uh, and he says that was the sales pitch. That's how they got people to join up. Ride the storm, baby. Ride the storm. But once you're uh, a Nile, you still had a boot on your chest, even if you didn't always feel it. And and, and so that to see people get riled up by under, you know, you toss that freedom, toss that, uh, you know, follow me to freedom type of thing. And, and, uh, you know, and, and suddenly the, the, the yoke is, is, is tightening and you don't really feel it. Like that's, uh, that's dangerous stuff. All leading, you know, all, all funneling up to, to Mark on Roe and some dark stuff. And then he, and like, I love Rose view of the Jedi. Uh, I think page 152 says uh, views, he views that much of the Jedi strength comes from their order. It collectively makes choices to serve a greater good, a light in the galaxy. So the fact that he wants to kind of do the opposite of that, um, which is different than, say, uh, Palpatine and rule of two and 
bigger stuff and wonderful themes there, which has a lot to do clear with government and separatists and all this kind of interesting talking points. But it's just, I, I'm fascinated by what the Nile represent. It, it is, it is life on the fridge. Um, it's a little culty in a way buy into this and we will all work towards this, but really it's a lie. It's a lie and you're nothing and you will be tossed into another ship at my whim. Um, to build, build it up. And that's, uh, makes them interesting. And I like interesting villains and it's a, a great commentary as well. And that's what I want a star Wars to do. Pew, pew, pew with some weight. Yeah. Yeah. I think all, all well said, well researched, pulled out some great quotes there. Yeah. I I'm just, I'm really, uh, I think it's incredibly powerful. Uh, the whole Nile structure, but at the end where he's literally showing them video of himself using members of the Nile and killing them and he still manages to spin it to get those people to cheer that they think he is their great defender of their personal freedom while he's literally showing them video of him using people and that he is you know rebranded reorganized the Nile to be even more cult-like and to have people believe even stronger that they're fighting against their personal freedom from the Republic that wants to take it away. And he, the great Marquion Rowe is the one leading the freedom when he's really putting them all in chains is really nasty, powerful stuff. Alex, how do you feel about uh, the Niles uh, power philosophy, uh, how it kind of works in the canon of star Wars villainy, all that, man, I don't think I have anything better to add on to that. Uh, (laughs) You guys, you guys nailed it. Like I I love kind of the, pyramid scheme structure of it all uh this promise that yeah you can one day have your own storm or whatever and uh but it, it just won't happen you're never going to reach Markion's level especially now and he doesn't even value these followers that he's built up um i think Markion's great i think like i said i wanted a lot of different stuff out of this and it's a little bit samey of yeah, what Ken said, chaos is a ladder. It's like, that's kind of what Palpatine does too, but it that's just what bad people do. They seek power at any cost, so I, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, um, yeah, I really like Markeon a lot. Uh, there were some fun little teases at the end, like, yeah, we don't really know his full story uh, that I, I'm excited to see where that goes, but I... I think you guys already nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. I, I think I agree with you. I think there could be some like uh, there definitely there's uh, there's some similar motivations for uh, evil uh, leaders that we see uh, between the the Sith and Markian Rowe. But there's this tantalizing uh, reveal that we don't know his true motivation. We don't know what he obviously he wants power, but exactly why and for what end. And and that's really promising that it might have. Uh, a different idea than the Sith or, or a different perspective on the same ideas. And I, I did really like that connection that, you know, the Sith have eventually have to create their rule of two and uh, the Nile for a long time has that three person structure. So, and there's all those great details about how, well, it's so that one of us always, no one of us can actually try to take the crown because it's set up in this great, uh, you know, board game rules structure yeah. that it's all going to fall apart. And, uh, then he even reworks it again at the end. But it's got that great connection to just remind you that, yeah, on the side of unity and connection, you need to keep people hopeful and empathetic. And it's easy for that to fall apart when people give in to doubt and fear. But on the other side, evil is hard to keep on the rails because when when you align yourself 
with someone who only knows how to attack and take more for themselves, it's really actually hard to get things done. So I think that's just kind of a, a fascinating uh, idea to see replicated a couple places in Star Wars and built on of like, remember, being selfish is really hard <laughs> to keep everybody pointed in the same direction and working the same way. And that, you know, it's just hard to keep uh, evil on the rails. Um, any other uh, big picture ideas or themes that you both uh, wanted to discuss or, or pulled out of the novel? Ken? Yeah, I, this one kind of tags a little bit of what we we're just talking about here. By the way, I love the denial meet in no space at a hall with no ceilings or walls, just a bubble. So look, there's no boundaries. Just don't step outside. You'll die. Uh, <laughs> no, there's just one little it, it, it's it's big to me, but it's it's a kind of a idea or theme. It's opportunity. And this is why also why I think the Nile is so dangerous for this part in the story, why I'm intrigued, why it ended up being more than eh, smugglers, pirates, just uh, collecting coin, you see. Uh, at the start of the story, the Outer Rim represents a chance for a better life, right? So we're doing this big galaxy expansion, but there's still this idea. Yeah, Hedda Cassa is uh, Hedda, right? I forget her last name right now. I'll look it up here in the book. Um, the pilot of, uh, of, of the ship that explodes at the beginning, uh, the captain. Um, Hedda Cassett. Yep, that's Hedda right. Cassett, yeah. Takes, you know, they mentioned just like the outer rim represents, uh, I don't want to say just simply going west in the old times, but just like it, it's a chance for a better life, bigger life, prosperous life. And that's also kind of the theme of the galaxy at this time. Uh, going back to what Peter uh, uh, Porter Ingle said, we were just trying to survive for so long, just trying to not get smallpox and die. You know, <laughs> now we can do good things and Chancellor so, so is bringing in these great works. Uh, which is fostering growth. And so the, this opportunity is there, which is why the Nile were just in their corner, just seizing what they wanted. But now they're going to start seizing more and they're connected. And Mark and Rose ramping it up a level where it's a, I'm not saying, there, yeah, there's no, we're going to take over the galaxy talk quite yet, but I can see it getting there. It doesn't even need to be that big for me. Opportunity, uh, chaos is a ladder. There it is again. And that's a big idea there as well. So I hope as, as this storytelling era goes on, I don't want to see some of that. Uh, that it's a little hopeful too. I just want to see. I want to see more people, not necessarily all in the outer rim, but just opportunity. Is this when Dex opens up his diner? <laughs> people are hungry. I'd I'd love to see still that uh, kind of be at play. Uh, and I like because I like I like that the outer rim. Um, it, it's always going to be what it is in Star Wars, including Navarro and some of the stuff with grief grief Karga talking about it, Mando. But that the underworld isn't just uh, always dark, dirty, grimy people hiding out from trouble. There's an enterprising spirit in this story uh, about some of the stuff going on in the Outer Rim and just so wants to make sure they're connected too and that they can grow and prosper out there as well because we are all the Republic. And I love that idea and how the, oppor uh, the, the Nile, their opportunities might uh, conflict with that. Yeah, I love what you're saying. I think what you're saying is that uh, Markian Rowe is the enemy of people like Cobb Vanth. <laughs> uh, you know, people who are trying to make a kind of honest living in a in a different kind of community in a harsh place. And Markian has that real selfish, like, uh, that's my hunting ground that I have secret access to. I'm not going to let anybody else have the opportunity that I have is a, is a great expression of that kind of uh, horrific selfishness. Alex, were there any other big ideas that you wanted to touch on? I think we hit everything I had written down. <laughs> and we're going to, don't worry, we're still going to talk about plenty of other things. It's going to be a longer episode. Uh, so I'd like to move on to a, a, just a, picking a couple of moments that we really enjoyed, uh, things that were fun or flavorful or just really intriguing. Alex, uh, what were your sort of big three just delicious moments? 
Uh, uh, like I, I could all want to say the entirety of the great disaster. Cause that right. opening <laughs> that, that first third of the book, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later. Um, no, go for it. Go for it. Uh, share share your thoughts. The whole first third was so killer. Uh, I, I was curious about how the hyperspace angle was really going to play into this. And, uh, some of it I wrestled with, which we'll talk about in a second, but, um, the the fact that like it starts off with two chapters where a character is introduced, you're like, oh, this is a great person, uh, they're dead, uh, and then you 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 do it again. We're like, I'm really rooting for this guy, and I'm like, okay, well, here's the main character, and no, he's dead too, and like it, they just kept doing that. The amount of times I was just saying the f word over and over at the end of every chapter because it just it gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, but in this believable way, um, I don't know, like I, I could probably pick three moments out of the great disaster, but I thought it was just the best way to kick off something like this, because not only was it paced well, uh, not only was it just making me feel intense anxiety, but in a good, this is just a story way, but it also shows just how great the Jedi and the Republic are at this point. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of like the various times I just dropped the F bomb <laughs> and those could be my, my three favorites. So it was probably freedom. Were you on freedom? I don't freedom, understand. Yes. I was saying dank Farrick over and over. So I think at the end of chapter two, when I was like, Oh, well those people are dead too. Uh, I remember when that one, the mechanic guy realizes he has to sacrifice himself uh, instead of the droid. Uh, mm. that that was great and when Buryaga sensed that there were people inside of the yeah. pod that they were about oh. to destroy uh, yeah all, all of those i'm getting chills talking about them all in succession now but yeah. I, I thought that the great disaster was just the perfect way to start this era i think you are entirely right to highlight that the first in entire third of the book is a delightful moment that we particularly enjoyed because it it really is and i think it is a a absolute tribute to charles soul is a writer we've been talking about a lot of the big ideas but this is the make or break for me on a novel that you sometimes when you're reading a star wars novel for myself and i think other fans feel this way if if you start out with characters you know and then you meet new characters you're kind of like eh Charles Soule introduced us to brand new characters and gave those exactly right human details to make us care about them immediately and to make a nice human like you, Alex, shout the naughty F word. That's power. <laughs> Absolute power. So, uh, Ken, for you, what were some of the, the fun or flavorful moments? Yeah, I mean, the great disaster we could talk about even more and more probably. I don't know. We do a whole four center word by word episode, too. Uh, just because we had heard, right? Oh, there's a great disaster that starts this era. Then we kind of heard, oh, I might have something to do with a hyperspace accident. I was like, okay, cool. That sounds great. And then we even heard, like, oh, it's going to go affect other worlds. Oh, that's even cool. Oh, this this, this was like a movie. Even with that trope, what Alex is describing, which is like the deep impact Armageddon trope of a scientist in radar room sees something <laughs> and war- <laughs> tries to warn the world, but they, they die. Uh, so that worked for me, and it was really pulse pounding. Uh, there you go. a critic term there. I did love the Buryaga uh, moment. I think you're right to highlight that, Alex. It was it was fist pumping moment. It made sense. I even reread it this morning, and just kind of the way it plays out, and and his uh, his master who has learned Sherwook to to 
uh, translate. It, it just was, it was painful. It was, it was uh, added so much more tension to an already tense chapter of the book. Really love that. Uh, I actually really like the, the Mari Santeca uh, kind of a chapter when you first kind of see her following when you meet the Santecas as well. And Alex, I don't know, you should maybe do a Star Wars Explained video. Santeca was a character in Force Awakens. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's a free one for you, okay? You know, um, you, you make that joke, but I actually, I actually forgot to mention that in my Easter egg video that I put oh, out. <laughs> so thanks I for twisting that knife. Um, in, in your defense, that's not an Easter egg. That's like three uh, giant bunnies. That's, you know... <laughs> Feel. Uh, I love that. It was haunting, unique. It was a different kind of power in Star Wars uh, in the terms of just like this uh, this poor old lady that's just being kept alive so they can travel around and pillage and and how he's using it and what you talked uh, earlier just about stealing that power and how you use the power. Uh, it, it's just like you can't conquer the galaxy until you can get there. And this is how he's getting there. Um, and then I'll jump to the end. I love the epilogue. Mm. post credit scene, man. Two important Jedi simmering in love, holding to vows carrying on with duty and the lurking specter of the enemy, which is fear. I, I could absolutely live in that final uh, moment of the book for a while. It was really good. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Totally, totally agree on all your picks, but man, that ending was super, super powerful of, Oh, oh love. Oh, fear, fear. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, you know, I was trying, uh, Alex, to, to pick the moment where I really started, you know, uh, fist pumping literally while reading a book uh, in that first third. And I think for me, it was that first moment that Avar Chris uh, didn't jump into action, but floated into action. You know, uh, we're getting the kind of information about this is a huge disaster, but we're sending all these Jedi to help. And I think I can coordinate and, uh, you know, knowing that she is the co-commander on this ship and there's some, you know, and it's a, it's a Republic ship. So they're non-Jedi people. And just that image from the outside of like, suddenly she is floating in the air. I love the detail of tying her hair with the force and hearing the song and just like the, the utter power of like, here we go. This is the fist pumping moment that she's like, I'm going to unleash my power of connection and, try to save everyone and I got to tie my hair back with the force too is like creative and powerful and beautiful. So I love that. Um, Briaga's rough dinner reception, <laughs> uh, of, of, you know, he's such a likable character. You're both right to highlight that, that moment where he, he senses people, but just that, he, that, that feeling that they think is so relatable of not being great at parties and, uh, nobody understands me and they're kind of afraid of me and I understand, but, uh, it doesn't mean I want to hang out and what the hell do I say? And they can't understand me anyway. And then just cutting through all the noise and going and, and getting this vital information because he, he chose to, you know, hug a kid is, you know, that's, that's a lot of star Wars just in one quick, uh, Wookiee chapter at, you know, a buffet. I mean, you, you get, you get a, a Jedi Wookiee eating cheese and showing compassion. I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> The uh, this is this is the time that I wanted to mention that uh, that Jedi interlude, uh, the Jedi Council, where they're discussing it all. I just I love that that Jorah was uh, kind of got to be in some ways the the audience uh, avatar of being frustrated with philosophical discussions that lead to inaction. Boy, did that speak to what's coming. Uh, but in particular, I just love this quote from Jarl Poof. Jarl Poof for years kind of a joke Jedi, the weird, <laughs> weird uh, longhead guy who just disappears. Uh, I love that he specifically brings up that, that Jedi philosophy of when to take action and when not by saying we are the guardians of peace and justice. And sometimes there's a conflict between 
peace and justice and what a great way i'm just that's gonna just uh, uh stick with me for a long time of summarizing this great jedi challenge of when is the moment for peace and when is the moment for justice not violence not anger but justice which means action uh, in most cases uh, i love that and my final one was when you were mentioning alex very early on one of those great humanizing details uh, it's on page 17 where somebody is describing reading the jedi hollow novels <laughs> romances set on the frontier where the only action was the lightsaber battles that were clearly a substitute for what the characters really wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that for, for humanizing the person reading it and it sets up what life is like on the frontier and sets up the, the way people kind of understand the Jedi, kind of romanticize them, but kind of don't get it. So, great stuff. Obviously, we could go on and on discussing moments we enjoyed. So uh, let's wrap up the, this part of the podcast <laughs> with uh, things we, we wrestled with or weren't sure about. Uh, Alex, were there parts of it that uh, that you wrestled with or you got distracted by or didn't uh, enjoy on a subjective level? So the stuff just in general with hyperspace, it, it was one of those times where I was like, OK, I just got to turn nerd brain off. Um, it, it's kind of like the Holdo maneuver. Uh, some people got real up in arms about like the lore or whatever. And in the, when you're watching it in the moment, it's just like, whoa, that is amazing and beautiful. And I love it. And then like, I get home and I'm like, but wait a second though. So <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things that I was like, okay, I have to let this go. Uh, hopefully they explain it whenever stuff like this pops up i just go okay well hyperspace is just something that we as humans on earth don't understand and even even in this book they're like we don't quite get hyperspace like we're using this thing and we don't fully understand how it works uh which is another instance of uh naivete i guess Did i say it right <laughs> that time yeah so that that's how I always rationalize stuff like that. But I would be lying if I said that I didn't have moments of like, well, how exactly does this line up with what was stated in this reference book five years ago? Like <laughs> just sometimes you got to set that aside and enjoy the book because like most people are going to be reading this book and they won't have a second thought to any of that, nor should they. Yeah, but I don't think you're alone. I think I, I there's parts of it where I was like, okay, I want to now, and I think this is what they're doing. Like, I want to connect this to this moment from the original trilogy. Um, and it was a good reminder for me of like, remember that a book like this is really setting Star Wars on a timeline. You know, Bakta's new. And some, if they say something about hyperspace where you're like, that doesn't match with the original trilogy, that's maybe because they didn't know that yet or they didn't mm -hmm. do it that way yet because they didn't have that understanding yet. And that's what I tried to cling to of like, I feel like this is actually building towards a little bit more world building of, of how different people understand and, and choose to use hyperspace. Uh, anything else that well, you wrestled I, with, Alex? I would just say that I think that you're right because that this is happening like in the Mandalorian as well, where uh, people are going like, wait a second, why why don't the Mandalorians take their helmets off? This is all new. And then, of course, they have an amazing answer for it. And then at the end of season two, they're like, well, hold on. Why didn't Bo-Katan just take the Darksaber? This is new. And like people will jump to it being a contradiction when in reality there is an answer and it will be revealed and you just have to be patient. So it's probably one of those things where, okay, some stuff about hyperspace is a little iffy, but 
it, it a doesn't detract from the story for me and b it very well could play into the story in the future and have an actual answer yeah yeah i totally agree with that uh any other uh uh things that you questioned or wrestled with alex no i thought this book was basically perfect (laughs) (laughs) it'll f you your face right uh uh ken how about you there were things that you uh questioned or wrestled with yeah, first of all, I I feel for Alex. It seemed, uh, you know, a lifetime of explaining Star Wars is a blessing and a curse at times. <laughs> I get it. it, it <laughs> and, I, you know, I think uh, plot hole and retcon are the two most useless words when discussing uh, a lot of Star Wars stories. I think you're right, Alex. Just take just take a beat and we'll we'll, we'll get some explanations maybe. And if we don't, uh, we don't. Um, I think I want to see a hyperspace instructional video with the Pergale going, so you want to travel through hyperspace. <laughs> Oh, like that, that's what I want to see. Uh, no, I mean, uh, here's, here's, uh, this, um, this, uh, there was nothing that really distracted me. There was occasional, uh, drift. This might be more your, your follow-up question, Joseph, occasional drift into some modern phrases or words. And I will never hold a star Wars writer to the flames over that too much. It's the big ass door thing from last Jedi. E- either that completely knocks you out of the universe or you're just like, Oh, okay. They say that now. And, um, even I made the right, like, I love the term wreck punk, but it is kind of weird to be like punk. Do they know what punk means? Uh, and I, I can sometimes get lost, uh, and distract a little bit about that. So no, no, um, uh, all that was good. And then, and there was a fun distraction, even though I was very familiar with the concept art and, and shout out to, uh, a lot of our folks. And I think Mark and open our, our discord was posting the concept. Uh, art stuff that's been released already because as I was meeting these new characters I was like okay wait which one is this which was the picture was this okay okay I get it I get it and trying to tie them all including the ships uh, it was kind of a fun distraction but other than that hey this is a fast fast read because it was so cinematic especially the beginning and, and I just carried my carried myself through that those moments okay yeah that that makes a ton of sense yeah I was really intrigued by uh, there's always that great debate of this Star Wars is always going to have some real uh, real world turns of phrase and some of them bother some people and some bother them don't I was really uh, affected it, it didn't like bother me it's not a negative it was just like a wow they're going for it Charles soul is going for it uh, the back and forth with Star Wars names like you know obviously Luke Han Leia those those are real earth names you can find them Um but in general, you, you you have the more exotic names. There was a straight up Douglas and Erica. There was a straight up just you could have fondue with them in the 70s. <laughs> like those are like real human names. Even Kevin, it's spelled different, but it's it's Kevin. It, what my, my best friend from high school that uh, we used to talk about Star Trek Next Generation in Spanish class. That's guy who's doing this, Kevin. Uh, you know, it didn't actually bother me, but it did make me go, ooh, I wonder if anybody else is going to be like, Douglas and Star Wars, I'm just furious. Uh, so I, I thought that was really interesting. I, I like that. Uh, Douglas is also in A Test of Courage, and I, I think I missed him in a light, in Light of the Jedi, but he's more prominent in A Test of Courage. And I was just like, Master Douglas doesn't feel quite right. But I always remember back to reading uh, Outbound Flight, and there's a character whose name is spelled like J-O-R-J. And I'm like reading it in my head and I don't really think anything of it. But it, like halfway through the book, I was like, wait a minute, his name is George. <laughs> like it's just George, but they spelled it weird. <laughs> so that, that stuff always makes me laugh. 
Yeah, I thought this uh, this was very entertaining to to play with that and, and stretch that. Uh, the uh, the only other thing for me, it it ultimately worked in this book. I feel like there's been a decent amount of Star Wars books. I think Alphabet Squadron in particular, where there's a lot of switching stories um, in between chapters, uh, and I think it ultimately really worked for me uh, in this book because I was uh, really engaged uh, by every every story. Uh, but I was so engaged. It, it didn't bother me at all in the first half because because just Alex and Ken, everything you're saying about the way that, that whole great disaster, that's the story we're watching and we don't know which, which new character is going to live or die. But once we really got into uh, the the shank of the book, the middle of the book, uh, I was so all in on everything happening on Elfrona. I did have those like, come on, just stay on Elfrona, <laughs> uh, which is an, isn't really a criticism of the book, but uh, I think a concern. Uh, I, this book was really, really great at we don't want to have one main character. We want to show you a bunch of characters in all the places this era can go. So I think it was right to do that. But I hope I just hope that that does not become a, an ongoing thing where we jump from lots and lots and lots of different story tracks, because I, I like getting caught up in that page turner thrill of a Star Wars book. And, and it starts to uh, bite into that a little bit if we are jumping to like five or six co-equal narratives rather than, than two or three, if that makes any sense. It does. All right. Uh, that's it. Those are our harsh criticisms. Uh, a little bit of wondering about hyperspace and Douglas. Uh, that's about <laughs> it for our big criticisms. We clearly love this great book. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to discuss some of the more details in Light of the Jedi. We will be right back. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. Right, we are back to conclude our big discussion of Light of the Jedi. We always like to take time to talk about those big picture ideas, but we also want to keep the thrilling whiz-bang adventure of Star Wars in mind as well. So I thought we should share a couple of uh, favorite action moments or thrilling moments. Ken, why don't you start? What were a couple of the, yeah, there's deep ideas going on, but it's just a thrilling adventure action scene. What were those moments for you? Yeah, um, I got to tell you what, the uh, Elfrona Steely chase, man. Maybe just the, the Western-loving uh, <laughs> guy in me uh, wants a good horse chase getting the uh, uh, getting the bad guys. Uh, so I really did like that. And again, poor day, you talk about funny names. Like the way, I forget his species, it's ear, what, what is it you guys probably know? A crookie? Mm-hmm. A crookie, yeah. And yeah. I did watch your explainer uh, a video, Alex, on the Easter eggs, and it's uh, from another one of Soul's uh, uh, stories, the comics. Um, so I love that. Um, but even Porter, like I'm Porter Ingle. I'm a, I'm a chef Jedi. Like I cook stew and chase people on horses. I was on board for this. Uh, <laughs> I really love that. Uh, and, and almost hated to leave it kind of like you, Joseph, like, take me back, take me back. Come on. This is tense action. So, uh, I really love that. And there were some, uh, just great moments, uh, during, uh, what I'm kind of calling a cast of, uh, cast of last stand, uh, uh, that just, um, Good space battle stuff. Uh, the treach- the the treachery, the cruelness. Alex, you mentioned it when the, those uh, escape pods are really explosive, mm-hmm. full of explosives. Just it got me. Like I fell for it too. I was like, "Oh, get him! Oh no! Oh no!" Like and and just would have 
Uh, I'm not saying I want, uh, you know, Wish Light and Jedi was a movie, but I keep going to cinematic field. Like I was like, I, I would have got me in a theater too. And, and uh, uh, I love those two moments. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point of you, you, when you can kind of see it in your mind, like it's a movie and feel it uh, hit you in the gut the same way it would if it was on screen is, is, you know, that's great to let a book be a book, but also, you know, really paying tribute to the cinematic roots of Star Wars. Uh, Alex, for you, what were your big thrilling moments? I was also going to say the steely chase, but I'll keep on going. I mean, that whole action sequence I thought was more intense even than the great disaster, because now we're at a point where I'm like, these are the main characters. I don't want anything bad to happen to them, but they keep running into more and more problems. Uh, the scene where they are chasing the Nile up into the sky and they're just like throwing children <laughs> out of the back of the ship. And then bell has to do the thing. We're like yeah. it, it, in the first third of the book, you're like, Oh, by the end of this book, bell's got to learn how to jump and take a leap of faith. And all of that played out so well. Um, I think the other moment that really got a gasp out of me was seeing how Markian was pulling strings and how he was the one that even called the Jedi on Elfrona mm-hmm. to get them to come out there. Mm. Uh, I, I really loved that little Kaiser Soze moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that all great picks. Uh, and, and very similar to mine. The, yeah, the, I think what I really loved about the, the Porter Engel part of the Elfrona chase, I loved all of it, but I think the, the just great weird world building that is a big essential uh, part of Star Wars to me, if it's, you got to keep it a little weird and just bizarre alien world. So having, uh, the Steely's, uh, hoofs, you know, sparking on the magnetic ground is that's just such a great, uh, you know, visual. And I love Porter Engel just flipping the switch immediately from chef to the blade of Bardotta, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I, in, in particular, what I loved about the end of that was you're so into him being this like, uh, Jedi unleashed and then seeing that fallibility that he, he, you know, sends that bolt back into the alien's face and it goes right through his face and then turns his focus away. And again, it's this great intersection of kind of Star Wars exotic weird aliens. Like, and he's like, oh no, that's one of those aliens who have their brains in a different part of their body. And because I made that assumption, because I look, let my guard down, even I, this old, powerful Jedi, drop my guard for a second and I might be dead. Super, super thrilling, right? Because I really thought he was gone. And then, I thought he was you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you get the reward of Ember, the Charhound, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Alex, the, the bells falling to catch uh, the Blythe uh, child. I, I hadn't really made that into the Spider-Verse connection, but you, you could listen to uh, What's Up Danger, right, as he, <laughs> yeah. as he chooses. But I think that was thrilling because of uh, knowing Bell's fear and knowing Loden's faith mm-hmm. of just like, uh, you know, you know this is why I was training you. Do it, you know. Super thrilling. And then this is this is so great for me to have in a list of thrilling moments. Uh, but when the Jedi make it rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this is that's one of the things that I wanted out of this whole era is incredibly creative uses of the Force and Jedi who know, like, well, through the Force, all things should be possible. So let's look at the situation and let's look at what's around us. And Avar and Elzar having their their connection and working together to, you know, affect the environment and make it rain on that big collection of Navi computers. Great. Um, yeah. Final thing I would say for, for uh, similar to you, Alex, the, 
Marquion Rose Kaiser Sose moment is great, but just, you know, at, by that point, I, I was just so deeply in love with the Loden Great Storm. He's in pain because of his, you know, broken leg and just the horror of using other people's fear to keep a Jedi weak, their fear and their pain. Mm, yeah. It was just like, it, uh, it's not quite right to say it, it's thrilling. I, I was uh, thrilled and angered with Marky and Rowe, put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any, any other thoughts on the big action or thrilling moments before we move on to uh, canon stuff? No, I mean, I yeah, I they just go. I want to reread the Great Disaster again, which is weird because it's a disaster. But <laughs> all all of this is just I've read the book about a month ago now, and I'm like, I have to read this again because I I know how much I love it. But you've this whole time you've both been bringing up things that I'm like, man, I forgot about that. <laughs> I I need better notes. Well, well they're called, just... they're called lightsabers, and they're. <laughs> they're <laughs> And and they're used by the Jedi, yeah. Jedi, yeah. Yes. The, it's yeah. written Jedi, but we pronounce it George. They are the George. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is for me, uh, Alex. This is the height of hubris that I wrote down some canon Easter egg moments, and I'm going to go through it with you from Star Wars Explained. <laughs> uh, so I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm gonna run down the list, and then I'm gonna ask you both if there's uh, any particular moments that you want to talk about. This isn't complete. They were these were the ones that just popped up uh, for me. And if you want a complete list, uh, you know it is the Santecas, and then everything listed in Alex's great Easter egg video. Uh, so here we go. Uh, we mentioned this already. Great to know about the Bakta development on Hetzel. Uh, it's a miracle drug. It's gonna change things. I love hearing the mention that there are that the Republic is working on a truce between the Corn and Mon Calamari. Uh, that's going to have some up and downs. Uh, of course, the presence of Jarl Poof and Opo Rancisis on the Jedi Council is great. Uh, the drugs, uh, the list of drugs that were available uh, at the Nile, Death Sticks, we're very familiar with. Uh, up powder and downfire. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's just pause there because I, I want to ask a, a question about that. I, Star Wars goes up and down from having the coolest sounding name and then just kind of silly, goofy, your your goofy uncle came up with the name. And I think Death Sticks is like, your goofy uncle came up with that. Uh, and I love that Charles Sewell just, instead of kind trying to come up with a really cool sounding drugs, he just came up with stuff that matches the cool level of Death Sticks. Up powder and down fire. How do you, how do you both, Ken, how do you feel about up powder and down fire? I, d- I don't contend, uh, condone the use of, of downfire or up powder, but uh, I do enjoy their presence in the galaxy. <laughs> How about you, Alex? I mean, I like it because, yeah, you're right. It's just right on the level of death sticks. And, <laughs> but I also like that it's like, I, we know what it is. Yes. We, we know exactly, exactly what, what is. that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the, if they name drugs uh, this accurately uh, throughout Star Wars, that's going to be really really fun uh to continue having those kind of uh, uh this drug is called listen to the grateful dead like what okay um continuing our canon list elfrona uh if uh, anybody is not familiar is uh from the rise of kylo ren four issue comic series which i think is if you're gonna if you want to read any comics that's the one i'd really go to if that really connects to some major ideas and uh, themes in the in the sequel era uh but then you get to see the place that they are stationed. Uh, and I love Bell is reflecting on the outpost. He says it was simple and majestic at the same time, everything the Jedi should be. Also, I think kind of important for canon, uh, we know from his description and from seeing it in the comic that there's big statues of uh, Jedi with their hoods. And Bell mentions that the statues uh, have hoods 
like the Jedi from an older time? I'm going to pause there to ask that question, too. Alex, did you take that as kind of a hint of the Jedi and the prequel era are going to return to older ways? Kind of, yeah. That the Jedi are probably going to revert back to just the roots and say, like, we need to go back to the beginning, which might not be the best idea. Like, the Jedi probably need to evolve along with the rest of the galaxy. Uh, so they, they might be moving backwards. But yeah, the, the description that he gave, I was like, well, that sounds like the Jedi that we already know. Yeah, yeah. Ken, did you have any reactions to that hood comment? No, I, I loved it. And Alfrona, I, I actually pulled the Rise of Kylo comic Ren, uh, Ky- uh, Kylo Ren comic um, from my uh, boxes out in the garage to kind of reread them this morning to look at the, look on them with new eyes with uh, living on this planet a little bit. No, I liked it. I like what it mean. I think both of you kind of touched on it. I, look, here's what happens. Avar and uh, Elzar get caught kissing in the copy room eventually at, the end, at some point in the High Republic, and it causes problems. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and back to the hoods. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, so moving on, we have uh, Veracino, uh, is where uh, Avar and Elzar are uh, making eyes at each other and uh, meeting with uh, Santecas. And that is, of course, uh, familiar from Attack of the Clones uh, on that Naboo Island and Getaway. Uh, then, of course, Mind Touch versus Mind Trick. Uh, that it is the Mind Trick as we know it, but. It seems like maybe some Jedi are trying to sanitize it by calling it the mind touch. And other Jedi are like, let's be honest, it's a mind trick. Uh, I don't want to ask about that one as well. Ken, how did you feel about that? I, one of those just uh, funny little moments that probably has a deeper meaning if you want to dig in. And, you know, uh, how, what, when do you decide to call it what? When do you face the truth of what you're doing, Jedi? Um, but it was a fun little touch. Yeah, a touch or a trick, depending on your point of view. Alex, any reactions to that one? It made me think of a line from Dr. Afra, which I really, really love, that evil is a measure of how your decisions take away someone else's uh, or your choices. And so I'm like, yeah, the mind trick is a measure of taking away someone else's choices, whether it's a choice to not tell you something or uh, a choice to not do something. Like there, there is an element of darkness to it and bending someone else to your will. So I'm glad that they are at least acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's another thing of, you know, if the Jedi are going to be great in this era, that means they need to wrestle with these kind of moral choices. Uh, Blade of Bardada was a uh, Porter Engel's uh, name. And uh, Bardada is featured in the, the Clone Wars arc where Mace Windu and Jar Jar go on an Avenger. I think kind of an under discussed, I, I think, arc in the Clone Wars because we're dealing with the uh, Diogen masters who are who have a different understanding of the force. So that one was really exciting to me. Uh, Eradu, uh, the planet of hunters, home of Tarkin. Uh, Ken, d- did, did you love this? I thought about you when, when I was reading this. Yes, you know, I like my uh, cold, stoic killer Imperials. I, I get it, and I respect that, Joseph. Uh, no, I, lo- I, love, I love the description at the end when they kind of show up and, and Cassif's like, gosh, I picked the wrong planet. Yeah, I think I liked it because it was it, you you didn't need to know that that is the home of Tarkin to right. appreciate it, but if you did, you're like Cassid, you idiot. <laughs> you really get what's coming to you, you know? Yep. Uh I like this little uh throwaway. Uh there was a uh, people called navulators which were described with the kind of headwear that Lobot has so I'm hoping for a little bit more there uh kind of a, a cheeky reference uh, to one of the characters that every politician could use a Chagrian aid uh referencing Masamita that was uh, great uh just a straight up information that Yoda is on a sabbatical and <laughs> it's nice to know that you get uh vacations uh 
the mention of the Great Sith War, I was really excited by because I, I would love that to be a, a, a big point of storytelling at some point. Uh, I like the actual history that military actions have been done by the Jedi. And I thought this was really interesting that they say in that Jedi Council meeting that the Jedi numbers have dwindled uh, and been very small before and they've always regrown, which mm. I, I thought was really fascinating for uh, what other stories can be told of, of when the numbers dwindled and why. Uh, of course, we got a lot of backstory on the Santecas and their history with uh, hyperspace exploration and maybe exploitation. Uh, I like the mention that, you know, things are pretty great because the Huts and the Mandalorians have been quiet for a while. Right. And yes, I wrote down also a Kruki, uh, that uh, Charles Sewell building up the uh, the Charles Sewell verse by using a species that is uh, appears, I believe, in Podamron, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Uh, so, Alex, were there any of these other uh, Easter eggs that you had uh, strong feelings about? Uh, I'm trying to look through my list as well. And I remember uh, not only do they talk about the Sith Wars, but they talk about some conflict with the Mandalorians. Um, I, I liked the, the description of hyperspace as the great disaster is happening. It takes on like a sickly red color, which is stuff we've seen in uh, Star Wars Rebels and Battlefront 2. Mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Ken, anything uh, else that you wanted to touch on in this uh, in this list or from Alex's uh, much superior list? No, and I did watch Alex's video. It's great. I, I'll and, point out that my list was actually compiled. I was too busy, and uh, my buddy uh, Numidian Prime on Twitter, he has a blog where he does this. So <laughs> he, he just offered his notes, and uh, <laughs> he compiled the great list. Okay. Hey. Well, shout out to, to Numidian Prime. Uh-huh. Nice, nice, uh, um, excellent. Yeah, no, you, you ran down a lot of them there. It, it, it is, um, it's again because it feeds into that era conversation. Even you talk about the device that uh, Lobot or Josh Gad has in Rebels. Um, <laughs> it, it, interesting, right? It's like look at this new thing. This this will probably be a, a, a new device. It's like I remember when my friend brought home a, a razor phone. I was like, whoa. Look at that thin thing, uh, you know, or my friend Tom Trio. I'm like, wait, there's the internet on that? Like, I, I I love just kind of those kind of things. We know where it ends up, and we see a lot of that here. So I love the connections. The Santeca one has been, we knew that was kind of coming. Just very interesting to me. I, I've always just loved Lord Santeca for the brief moment we have him in Force Awakens, but also uh, just what he could uh, mean to Luke's journey and everything to sort of, uh, have him here, uh, have the family here, and 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 have some kind of the the shadows. There's a lot of mysterious past for some of these characters. There's um, there's is interesting, especially after you finish the book and you go back and reread that chapter where they're both kind of like, she can't be alive, right? Right? <laughs> Weird. And I just really it was it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it makes it really interesting to know that maybe maybe they made some mistakes. Maybe they're a little sketchy. Maybe uh, they have exploited uh, their their exploration of hyperspace. And how does that funnel into who Laura Santeca becomes? You know, this centuries down the line is really really great. Uh, Alex, did did you ultimately feel like it was a good balance of new and old? Like there's all sorts of new characters and new ideas, but a pretty long list of planets and aliens and tech that we're familiar with. Was it a good balance? 100 percent uh like your talk about iria do that was enough for someone like us to know like oh man you really messed up and having them come in at the end for that final battle like just knowing how cruel tarkin was and how that's just how those people are uh 
and, and I think there was <laughs> even a moment where they showed up to Iriadu and I was like, I don't remember them having a moon. <laughs> and <laughs> that that played out. <laughs> so so yeah, I, I thought that there was a, a very good balance where it was mostly new stuff. Uh and, and the the stuff that they did throw in was kind of cheeky, fun. Uh we talked about Yarl Poof already, but Charles Soul just loves Yarl Poof. And, no. and the fact that he also got kind of a great line uh that he's becoming less of a joke. <laughs> Uh, yeah. after what Robot Chicken did to him, which I do love. But uh, yeah. giving Jarl Poof a new lease on life in Star Wars is fun. Yeah, justice for Jarl Poof. That's what I care about. Ken, you have any thoughts about this balance between new and old? It, it really nicely struck, and we'll see where it goes, especially if the High Republic era you know, carries how close are we going to get to uh, 150, 100 years, 50 years. And uh, yeah, I know Leslie Hedlund series might be loosely tied with this era. We don't know. So some of the names are going to pop up and we're going to want some of that. It doesn't always need to be, hello, I'm uh, Wingden Antilles. Uh, you know, uh, I like flying ships. Oh, you like I want some of that. I don't need it all the time. And perfect balance. And it was deep and it was never it wouldn't no one's going to feel lost if you don't know um or you're not subscribed to star wars explained you should be uh and uh, and it's you're going to be rewarded for knowing and i think there's a lot of that in a lot of the star wars books anyways uh even in in time periods we know those little nudge nudges and wink winks but uh this this was this was great the galaxy still felt pretty large you know yeah yeah absolutely i think that's key it's that there's so much in this book that is about exploration so it's great that, to have those moments where we truly don't know what they're going to discover and every once in a while uh, a character discovering something that we already know like don't mess with Tarkin's home planet they'll send their dagger ships after you and it won't turn out well uh want to move on to hopes for the future of the high republic uh ken i want to start with you where do you really hope these stories will go? Take that however you want, from the, the big picture to individual characters that you want to catch up with. What are you hoping for? I I kind of am focusing on, um, there's a lot, obviously, obviously, Nile, and, and how the, the galaxy ends up where it is and, and how close are we going to get the, to the fall. We know we're going to have trials for the Jedi coming up, but how, how close do we get to the fall later on? But for right now, continuing, I love this idea discovery for the Jedi. So we're going to learn what they fear. We're going to learn how they combat fear or how uh, they deal with attachment, love, uh, trysts. I don't know any of that stuff. And, and, and I love Elzar man early on as, as a, as a character uh, before I met Porter Ingle in the story, Elzar man, just kind of like, eh, he's out there doing his thing. He's trying new tactics. And you know, Avar seems to have a control on him here. I, I, I love that. And to see him and to see him and other Jedi kind of learning, studying, trying new ways to use the force it's it's almost as intriguing to me as, as as like back to being brand new like it goes back to the era thing we have we're already established we're the jedi but can we be better can we do other things why are we just doing this when we can do a mind touch i like that the jedi have the books but how do you grow that and what will happen to them on the other side of that uh with what they're about to face in all these stories because we know we're going to get to trials of the jedi so things are things are going to get murky and I like that this isn't just we've been pitched High Republic, everything running on all cylinders. Not quite true. Everything's running well, but everyone wants to make it better. And what are you going to what are you going what are you going to learn from those discoveries as the Jedi? Yeah, I think that's really well said. You are thrilled to go with them on their uh, their discoveries and their victories, but knowing they're going to have some uh, failures along the way as well. Um, 
Alex, how about you? What are you most hopeful for in these stories from big picture ideas to even characters? Yeah, from big picture, I think I've already basically said what I hope to see of how we go from this very idealistic, everything is, like Ken said, not perfect, but it's it's great. Like they are, I think they've earned the title High Republic compared to what we've seen. But yeah, how does it go from uh, where we are now to the Sith taking over uh, in 200 years, thanks to the machinations of basically just one dude? Uh, what is going to happen that causes the Jedi and the Republic to change their philosophies and their ideals? And I, I guess I think it'll be kind of a slow burn, uh, something that happens gradually over time where it's like, well, I guess we can like wiggle on the rules just a little bit here, but we'll fix it later. But now we've done that. And I guess we can, you know, make another, uh, flexible choice here and we'll fix it later. I, I kind of want to see something like that happen, but really the first book I think set it up so well that I'm on board for anything, uh, whatever they want to do. I'm like just into it. I love the characters. Uh, and even when a story comes along, like I liked a test of courage. I liked into the dark. It wasn't on the level of this, but I'm fine with that. Like, the first book was so good that I'm just fully into this era and I want to see what they do for characters. Yeah. I mean, it's loading great storm. That's, that's who I'm worried <laughs> about. Uh, they have mentioned, and this one is really interesting. The, the rising storm is going to have a, a lightsaber wielding character who they have described as a saber for hire, mm-hmm. like, a, a force using bounty hunter i'm guessing or it's just a, a a woman with a lightsaber and they're like yeah you can keep that that's fine like i really want to know what her deal is and see what other ways just the jedi are different right now and continue to pull on those ideas of just h- how is this better or worse or like just how does it compare to what we know about the jedi already yeah, uh, I think that's great. Yeah, very excited uh, for that next book. I think for me, finishing this this big introduction, and and I'm excited for on the kind of the macro and the micro level. I'm excited to read uh, the other books that are kind of focusing on. Uh, I read the first issue of the comic, uh, so I got a sense of like, all right, it, we're gonna pick up some characters we met a little bit, or you know, some characters we didn't meet at all, and and zero in on their adventures in this same time. So I'm excited for those, but I'm also just really excited for. Uh, the big picture story that I was introduced here uh, to continue. What is the big picture story of the High Republic? And uh, I was saying the other day when they they had the uh, the discussion uh, about the High Republic and, and unveiled the three eras that I was really excited about that because this whole overarching story about the High Republic is so exciting to me. I really want a beginning, a middle, and an end. Is it in have it within the next you know several years of publishing for it to really connect up with the fall of the republic? Um, still, plenty of room to tell individual stories of here's an, a random adventure Loden Greatstorm had, but wanting to be able to just feel like I know this whole big picture story. Uh, little details. It's not a little detail. A pretty big detail. I'm really excited for the motivation of Marky and Roe. I think finding out exactly who he is, exactly what that glowing purple thing is, and exactly what he wants and why is going to fulfill so many of our questions of, 
you know, of, of what makes this era what it is and what is the challenge to the Jedi. It's certainly fear conceptually, but how does that actually uh, express itself in, in actions? And I think all of that is going to stem uh, from Markian Rowe. And, and I like the suggestion that his family interacted with the Jedi and that sent his family down a dark path. It really suggests to me some interesting storytelling of did the Jedi of old make some mistake? Is this a, is this a story of them slipping and then they accidentally created this cascade? Uh, and is it truly a mistake or is it just like that's the cost of taking action is sometimes you're going to piss somebody off and the Jedi didn't make that choice for the Roe family or for Mark and Roe, but they did set it off. And how do they wrestle with that? I'm really uh, excited about that. Um, Ken, for you, is there any any Jedi that you want to spend more time with in particular? I, look, I, I like Skier. I know we're gonna. I know we're gonna spend time with him and see how quick that arm grows back. I, I'm excited about that. I really do love Bell Zedifar and Ember. I, I like uh, what, what's going on, and just because he's able, he's kind of some eyes and ears, and you know his view of the lightsaber of the Jedi. We're learning as he learns. I like that. Uh, you know, I don't want to just run the list of every Jedi here, but Avar Kirtanel's our man. Like I'd love just Marvin Gaye to kick it and boo, let's get it on. I really am looking forward to see what happens with him. And uh, yeah, Porter Angle. Uh, you know, we'll see where he ends up, see what goes on. Just at some point, I want a Porter, Porter Ingle cookbook. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm happy with that. I think Inside Editions is going to make that Porter Angle uh, cookbook, and that'll be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the most affecting parts of this book is I liked every single one of the Jedi. I really like Loden, and I think that that cliffhanger has made me really like, when are we? Uh, I want, I so want him to get out of that cage and, you know, live to, to fight another day. So I'm very excited for that. I love, I didn't just like Bell. I love where they left Bell off that his master said, you're a Jedi Knight and he's, but he won't accept it, you know, um, oh, until, yeah. or, or, or he, he has the you know possibility of being a knight, but he isn't going to accept it until Loden can be there. It's, that's a fascinating place. Um, in Elzar, I love that idea that the reason to become a master isn't, ego it's because you basically graduate to this level where you are free to explore the force in whatever way you want because you're not focused as much on mission so seeing how that uh that idea impacts elzar is great uh and then uh i really want to know where my beloved uh tara sanube is (laughs) (laughs) the the jedi with the the uh, laser lightsaber cane uh, the saber cane. Uh, I'm curious exactly how old he is. If he hung out with Porter Engel, what all that is about. And then uh, final thing for me uh, on it's not a Jedi, but they mention it. I love the idea of these outposts that are they're smaller temples that are a little bit more practical. And they mention the the treehouse outpost on Kashyyyk. And I want to go to there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to, I want Disney to build that theme park, the uh, Jedi Temple outpost on Kashyyyk in a treehouse. That feels uh, good for a video game too, kind of a like KOTOR style. We can go to these various planets, and your hub is the various outposts. That'd be awesome. Oh yeah, maybe Cal Kestis uh, will in, in Sarah Junda will go to the treehouse outpost. <laughs> we can we can dream. Uh, Ken, Alex has shared some great thoughts about how he wants this era to tie into the fall of the Republic or the prequels uh, or, or any other era. Uh, but where where do you go with that? What do you want to see in, in terms of building towards the fall of the Republic? I am curious to see how well the great works goes. Uh, does it work? We I, I, we have an indication that a lot of this does, right? You know, the, the Lobot stuff we back that we keep talking about, but the other things and 
and uh, the Starlight Beacon, and do they get more? And uh, one of our listeners uh, over in Discord, Kara Baster, uh, put it just like put put it out there that the, they love that uh, Starlight Beacon and and Chancellor uh, So are kind of like the reverse Palpatine, like instead of a Death Star, about it's like this beacon of hope, and, and it, it's real simple, direct, and I love that. So this era, this era is starting really well. So how well does that uh, go? And do the original intentions get lost in translation, forgotten? the facts that become memories that become whispers and does it lead to any kind of complacency that opens the door for the Sith and Palpatine and the fall of the Jedi? Like how does that all kind of work? Um, you know, and, and we talk, we keep talking about this, this era in, in our real world of the early say 1960s or late fifties, these great ideas, great concepts, great societies. And, 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 you know, it doesn't necessarily go that way. And can we analyze how it went wrong or what mistakes were made? through Star Wars, again, not needing it to be a direct one-to-one comparison to my own country here in its history, but just like, I'm fascinated to, to can Star Wars analyze that and, and how this started one way and ended up somewhere else and into the rule of Palpatine and the Sith and everything. Uh, and it, it might start with the great works and how well it went. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I, I think it's so great that you can look at it from lots of different kind of timeline perspectives. I'm so interested in the, the WPA of the thirties that you just built a lot of things. You know, if you're curious and don't know a lot about it, just read Wikipedia and see how many things were built out of that. And, and that ended because of, uh, World War II, uh, and what would have happened if that had continued. And, and I think that's what, what this is, this kind of era is going to be able to wrestle with in a fascinating well and I, I love everything you're saying ken about uh, that post-war optimism of the the world is our oyster uh, allegedly so what are we going to do las vegas <laughs> how does it all go um i think for me I, I we all talk a lot about the jedi screwing up in the prequels and the uh, republic already being a little corrupted and, and i really love running down well, what exactly do we mean by that? And uh, there have been many great uh, discussions about that. But for me, I think a couple like concrete things that we know the galaxy ends up is and that are problematic is, uh, you know, speaking of greed, we have the Trade Federation uh, has corporate representation in the Senate, uh, <laughs> which, which, you know, from Lucas's perspective, that's a bad thing. That is not good. Uh, so how does that happen? Uh, at This whole thing is about the Republican Lena So trying to reach out to the outer rim, but by the time of Phantom Menace, you know, at, at least part of the outer rim is not at, at all in the Republic. It is ruled by crime. And how does that happen? That the Republic is like it, it, the Huts have that part. Let it go. That's we just we'll just give we'll give it to them. Basically, we'll give it to them to the point where when we need those hyperlanes, you know, we have to go ask Job of the Hut. You know. We have to make this deal with the devil uh, because because this didn't succeed, possibly. Uh, so that's really interesting to me. Um, and then I feel like one of the other great criticisms of the Jedi is that they get overly connected to the Republic. There's even a great passage, I didn't write down which page, about how, you know, the Jedi mostly do their own thing and then they, they work with the Republic if the Republic asks, you know. And, and allegedly that's what's going on in the prequel era, but it's not. They are way too tied to the whims of, of politicians. And that's one of the things that Palpatine exploits. So I'm, those are like three specific, like what, what are the actual problems out of rim crime that the Jedi are not willing to take on, you know, Shmi and Anakin being enslaved trade Federation, uh, you know, having being able to grind the gears of actual decision-making in, in the Republic, uh, the Jedi being too tied to the Republic, you know, what events happen? Are the Nile involved in that? Are the Nile, 
manipulated at some point by the Sith to make some of these things happen. Because I, I like that idea that, you know, by the time of Phantom Menace, uh, the Sith, certainly Palpatine himself, has already been gumming up the works and making it harder to believe in hope. And I'm really excited to see some of those possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we are going to move on to our final topics here. Uh, my my second to last topic here is catch-all. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to touch on, Alex? I don't think we did. I, I think I would just say that of all of the Disney-era Star Wars books, uh, this is the first one that I am immediately like, I want to read it again. I'm going to read it again probably very soon. Most of them, even the ones that I've loved, like Alphabet Squadron and Lost Stars and Thrawn, I've been like, man, that was great. And I I just haven't really taken the time to revisit them. But this is one that I'm like, I, I have to read this again because I want to, not because I feel like I have to. It was just that good. Yeah, you just want to go on the, uh, the thrill and idea ride yourself, uh, not for any purpose for writing down notes. You just want to experience this again. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of, I've, I've said this before of like, yeah, I go see a Star Wars movie now. And the first time feels like it's not really for me anymore. Uh, but the, the second time it's like I get to just chill and watch it. And it, I kind of feel like I need that experience for this book. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Ken, for you, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on? The only, there's a couple characters, uh, uh, Pika and Josh uh, Arden, the, the married couple that dri- drives the long beam and wants to help. Uh, I like them. I enjoyed them and and uh, some of the stuff in there, but that's a small thing. Now, I, overall, um, I echo what Alex is saying. I mean, there's a reason this is a long episode, not just because we have a, a third voice here today, but just like there's so much in it. Um, it's a great start. It did everything they needed, and it was it, it's a big head. And and uh, you know, I, Alphabet Squadron, I love that stuff. I, I'm with you, Alex. I don't, I, you know, I know you love it probably even more than me, but I don't know if I'll ever touch that one again. It's it's uh, it's a little dense. It's a little. It's a book. It's a it's a it's a think piece. Uh, this is this is a fun adventure. It's very Star Warsy. Uh, not that the others aren't, but um, I'm excited. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Uh, yeah, P- Pika and Joss Arden, I think, are great um, uh, examples of anybody can be a hero. Same thing with Kevin Tarr of like uh, mm-hmm. people being brave, even you know, even if we are kind of focused on all our cool Jedi, our cool uh, space wizards with laser swords. There are some great representations in this book of just. Uh, people stepping up and and mm-hmm. trying to do their best and be their best, which is awesome. Uh, I think for me, the only other thing that I wanted to touch on is this book had so much of what I love of Star Wars from the thrill to the big ideas, to the spiritual, to the technical, all sorts of stuff. And then it also had just the the absolute toy urge. Reading this book going, I want an action figure of this character, mm-hmm. that character. And there's this one passage that made me feel like is this, is this a commercial? Uh, we learned early on about the great lightsaber-activated vector ship. We'd known about the vector ship. Uh, but then on Elfrana, when they're starting the chase, and like, by the way, uh, the Jedi also have uh, vanguards or V-wheels, versatile land speeders, you know, with lightsaber keys and force response controls. And also, if uh, if those don't work, we have the, the Jedi uh, little speeders, the veils, uh, with basically just tiny wings on a stick. And I was just like, this book just turned into a toy commercial and I want to buy all of the V vehicles of the Jedi right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like reading an old book in the eighties, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it really did feel like the toy book of like what in the fact that they're all V named. Like, I, I, it's just so yeah. great because it, it does lean into that part of Star Wars that that is a part of the the fun and the fandom of it of you know the cool wizards with their cool toys and it, and it did make me want to buy them all. Uh, all right, we have one last question to wrap up our epic episode on this epic book. Uh, Ken, I'd like to start with you. If you had a charhound in your life, what would you name the charhound, and, and what would you ask your charhound to burn? I would name it charbro charbroil. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> uh, other than cooking, um, I just uh, I like uh, I like just knowing he's there. It's one of those like you just point at and go, yeah, you want you want you want some flames because my charbroil's ready to go. All right, <laughs> keep on walking, keep on walking, and then of course, yeah, I'd have him cook some dinners. Absolutely. Cook some dinners, Charbroil. Uh, Alex, how about you? If you had a Charhound, uh, what would their name be and what would they burn? Uh, I think I'd name them Downfire and I'd have them light my death sticks. <laughs> <laughs> you have gone full dark side. Uh, for myself, I, I, I stay away my, from the up dust, though. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, it was the, the up powder. Yeah, up you, powder. Can't, <laughs> you can't be doing the up powder, kids. Up powder is wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, I would name my charhound uh, Axel. Uh, we had a Chihuahua growing up, and I wanted to name it Axel, uh, but uh, my mom insisted on uh, testing the dog's names uh, by yelling them, and uh, she thought it sounded like asshole, so I couldn't have <laughs> a Chihuahua named Axel. So I'm damn well going to have a charhound named Axel. And uh, I don't need this service right now, but man, if I had a charhound uh, back when I lived in Minnesota, uh, Axel would be out there burning the snow in the driveway for me, and it would be great. I'd love that. That is our big look. Uh, before we go, we always want to share uh, where you can find us. Ken, can you let people know where they can find us? Absolutely. On Twitter at Force Center Pod. We are on Instagram, YouTube. Our Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcasts available on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, and more. We have merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center, including the Speculate Responsibly t-shirts, sometimes featured by Alex and Molly in their videos. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us directly. Uh, we always appreciate support over there. Once you sign up there, you can get into our Discord server. Great place for Star Wars community and discussion. You can follow me at kednapsuck or go to kednapsuck.com and you joseph yeah you can find me twitter and instagram at joseph scrimshaw and you can check out my website josephscrimshaw.com for all of my other comedy adventures alex where can people find you uh you can find us pretty much everywhere uh at star wars explained that's our youtube channel where we talk about all movies books tv shows video games etc and uh, we're on twitter instagram facebook patreon twitch all those good places Excellent. Alex, thank you so much for joining us and for all of your great insights. It is uh, so great to just be excited about Star Wars with a fellow Star Wars thinker like yourself. So for all of us, for Ken, for Alex, for Ember the Charhound, this has been Force Center. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.